0: This is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard the cutthroats and what's the difference? Be sure to check them out on the show notes. They are on West Coast Worldwide. The record label of our guest tonight, Mr. Mike Hoods. And we're going to get talking about the cutthroats and a lot of the Mikey Hood origins and many things related back to so many of our guests for those who have been listening this entire time, you know Mikey has been name-dropped and brought up multiple times on the show. So, uh, as I continue the West Coast tour of This Is Hardcore Podcast, there's no way I could do it without hitting on Mikey Hoods. Before I go into that, I'd like to talk to you about a couple things. We're going to have list of GoFundMes, which is a crazy thing to say. We still have Eddie Leeway, who is... He posted a picture last week, and he looked like Frankenstein. He had lesions that were um, in his skull or you know in his brain somewhere from screws that were in his skull. Um, He's been fighting cancer, as we talked about it. He's doing well, but I mean, we can still, if you haven't donated, at least share, like get as people say, like get the awareness up that someone like Eddie Leeway still needs our help. And the godfather of all this Roger Murray He um, had another surgery this week He is still in remission from cancer His health is improving now And obviously These are a lot of guys Who spent their entire time In the hardcore scene Most of them do not have You know This big insurance policy Or you know Some of them don't even have Medical coverage and so it's important when people who have done so much for hardcore or just anybody within our scene um, is going through this that we give some help. So we're going to have links in the show notes to send a couple of over to our friends, Roger Murray and Eddie anyway, and keep them in your thoughts. Um, hardcore is nothing without these two people and the music that they were a part of and. I take it seriously when our forefathers and people that I consider friends are going through it. So, help them out. You know, it's not just reshares and uh, RTs on Twitter. You know, throw some fazols up. Uh, We have a new episode of The Rule of Three. Rule of Three, number five. If you haven't checked out the episode, any of them, uh, please check them out. They are... um, one a server website thing called Podbean. I'm gonna link that up. This up ep- is pretty good. <laughs> In fact, it's the longest one we done. For those who've never listened to it, it's myself, Richie Crutch from Wisdom and Chains, and Z nine and Fast Break Records and Crutch, obviously, and I and our friend the OG himself, Jeff Gavin. Richie does a podcast called Post America Podcast. I've been lucky to be on it many times. And OG is a part of Broadsheet Breakdown, which is a podcast that I love. I've listened to, I think at this point, I think there might be like 12 episodes I haven't checked out. They're in the hundreds as well. It's OG Pablo, who is um, uh, a very funny character. I think Scott Vogel listens and listen solely for the cheapo tricks of the day. And the man himself, Vinny Paz. These are three guys who all grew up to each, with each other in punk, music, metal, hardcore, hip-hop. Uh, all from the Philadelphia area. And I always tell people when people go, oh, what's that podcast like? If you were ever into Howard Stern or just like three dudes who can go back and forth and break balls and talk about multiple different things... And their show is pretty long. It's pretty entertaining and they have different uh, gimmicks and um, different segments. And they're all entertaining. So OG comes from Broad Street. Uh, I have this podcast and Richie's got Post America. And we are just trying to entertain, chit-chat up. And it's like three dudes with their own podcasts together. So The Rule of Three, check it out. I'll have links up. I'm pretty excited about this one to be honest. Kind of went hard on it. It was a lot of fun. Going forward, make sure you're supporting bands that are coming through on tour. Um, COVID's not easy. Be kind to each other. Don't break somebody's balls if they're asking for vac cards and all this stuff. I mean, there's a lot to be said about just showing up. Sometimes things on the flyer are not what they seem. I know some people freak the fuck out and start screaming. Um, got a couple of friends of mine who have COVID. Uh, I think that's something that we all can relate to at this point. I've had it before. But especially as we get into the fall and then winter cycle, make sure you got your flu shots. I just got mine today. It's not fun. Um, But be kind to each other. The world has enough apathy. It has enough bickering. It has enough fighting. Stop trying to one-up each other. You know, support the shit that's going on. You can support us by going to com. Check out the shows in Philadelphia. Bob Wilson's a fucking killer. He's got shows. I've got shows. Chris X is jumping back in it. And, um, I wanted to say... I don't even think Chris listens to the show, The Fucking Chooch, but I love the guy. And, um, rest in peace to Chris's grandmother. When, um, many years ago, Chris moved back in with his grandparents after he had some family problems. We would play Dungeons & Dragons in his grandmother's house very late at night. And, um... She was a super sweet, kind woman, and I just want to say that you know not everybody has a perfect life. But I'm I'm Chris's grandparents were everything to him, and now they're both gone. And I've known Chris since I was 11, 12 years old. So <laughs> I just want to send some love out to my friend. Okay, guys, no more emo shit. This is the continuation of the West Coast tour. I have spent 50-something episodes chatting with 99% of our guests have been not from the West Coast. Um, Ram's from Canada, but I don't really count Canada, or Northwest as part of the West Coast. Sorry. Fuck you, guys. We don't like it. So we are in our second guest. Thank you to so many fucking people for uh, commenting and chatting me up about our last guest. I mean... Zach Nelson is a standout human being. His podcast is exemplary of the best a hardcore podcast can be. And the conversation we have was fucking fantastic. Uh, So many people from back then reached out. Uh, Andy from Die Hard Youth, uh, who actually, I hit him up. I didn't get to write him back. And uh, then Mikey name dropped him on the show. So cool to reconnect with old friends who, you know, we meet on the road. We know each other through hardcore. And then they're listening to episodes it's great to have this uh, connection through this thing, and so many more guests coming out on the West Coast tour. It's going to be a couple more weeks, and then we're going to try to make sure what we go back to the East Coast. is pretty fucking cool. So thank you for supporting. Um, yo, big shout out to Corey Williams. Fantastic West Coaster, and um, I've got a bunch of West Coast tour dates right now. So we're going to wait a bit to go back over there. And we do Corey Williams. going to have to get back on the show. Get on the show. Um, Fantastic human. I haven't been popping it because I want to make sure I have content coming. But I would say that Sunday is going to be the day that I upload a bunch of Patreon stuff on from now on. And you can go to that at patreon.com slash this is hardcore. But I have a schedule to keep and I will be putting stuff up on Sundays for patreon people it will not be episode related these episodes are free the content is free i will never take stuff from the show and keep it just for patreon and i would never ask a guest to do specific things it's a little clunky for me and time is limited as we all have it you know um i'm probably going to talk to mikey for about five hours on the show for example just all the different things but you know the story got what it got mikey's a beautiful human this is probably one of the more fun and exciting ones I've done. It for me as a uh, you know longtime friend of Mikey, and then got some curveballs in. I got some real emotion on the show, and I would never want to cut that out and just put that behind a paywall. So thank you for the support, and I really appreciate it. I I mean, it's a weird thing to do this every week now for over a year, but the support it means the world to me and. I'm just very happy that you guys are joining this. So, without further ado, let's fucking go. Today we are talking to Mike Hoods throughout the podcast from the very earliest episodes. Episode three with Chris Spear from Dysphoria, Damian Rodriguez later on, Richie Crutch. Time and time again, Mike Hood's name has come in to play in so many different facets as far as being the person that you eventually would meet in your quest to either continue on tours or get help when you're in Northern California. And, you know, he and I's friendship started over 20 years ago. And there's no other person that I could think of to start the talks about Northern California hardcore and just get a better bearing on where Mike came from and how the hoods really got rolling. And um, Mike, I know you don't really listen to the podcast, but multiple times you've been spoken about in very flowery, very positive words. And you've done so much for hardcore people, not only in your own area, but guests of ours so finally have you on the show and i'm really appreciating coming on
1: oh yeah man thank you joe
0: so like all things when we do this show we start at the beginning um where did you grow up what was the music in your house and like when did you first started getting the inkling to start playing music and that whole thing like the real beginning
1: well i'm a vietnam baby like a lot of kids from the 70s i was born in 1973 Well, my dad got back from Vietnam in 71. And when he was in Vietnam, he was rocking like all kinds of old school shit. But mainly the stuff I remember from growing up, far as music goes, was like Jimi Hendrix, um, the Doobie Brothers, um, fucking Creedence Clearwater. So I was into like rock and roll stuff when I was a little kid. That's all I listened to and country music like Johnny Paycheck. My dad was a trucker. So obviously I listened to kind of. I don't know. Some people back then would call it hick music, but I just called it fucking rock and roll. And um, after that, it just kind of turned into like the early eighties came around and my parents had some, their, their best friends at the time. Kids were skinheads. One of them was, and he got us into like bad brains and shit, and the circle jerks and fucking dead Kennedys. And obviously I really like, I know a lot of people talk shit, but I, I really like the sex pistols. And I Love think the Nevermind the, Never the Bullocks album is probably one of the best albums ever written besides Fear the Record.
0: Now, uh, when your father got out of Vietnam, were you guys always in NorCal or did you live somewhere else first?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I grew up. Sorry to skip, Joe. I got 88. No, 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 no. no I, it's
0: all good. No, no. I'm just trying to keep just trying to get, oh, get a man. bearing for where you're at as you're getting exposed to all this amazing music.
1: Oh, man, I fucking grew up right Whoops, F-word, sorry, I don't know. If no, you can, you can curse,
0: you can say whatever, no, absolutely. Oh, okay. Fine. You can curse, say whatever <laughs> fuck you want on the show.
1: Okay, yeah, that's cool. Well, I grew up in Oak Park, Sacramento. It's like a...
0: Oh, yeah, Luigi's you know, baby.
1: Yeah, Oak Park, Sacramento, California. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty decent place to grow up. Um, I was probably one of the only few white kids in my neighborhood, you know. But it, back then, you know, it's like, I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Oak Park. It was a fucking... Little bit tougher side neighborhood. Um, I lived there till I was about nine and a half years old, and I moved out of, over to Southland. But I grew up in a fucking kind of rough atmosphere. My dad's a rough dude. He's still a rough dude. Any of you've met my dad knows. He's a
0: he ain't playing around. He's a tougher dude.
1: But I'm like the softer version of my father, thankfully. My mom's really the mean one, but uh, yeah. So I grew up just a blue collar, normal, normal dude, you know. My dad was a fucking... He went from a truck driver to a diesel mechanic. My fucking venture and my fir- first workplace was a diesel mechanic. I grew up in a shop wrenching till I was about 16 years old. Then I... They'll we'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, so I just grew up a normal-ass kid, man. My mom fucking stayed home. She got multiple sclerosis, so she didn't really work. But uh, yeah, I'm
0: a mama's boy. Simple. Now, how quick... How quickly as you're in being exposed to this kind of music, were you thinking about playing? Like, where did the beginning of your actually becoming a musician come from?
1: Ah, uh, fuck, man. You know, crazy enough that <clears throat> we were coming home one day with my buddy Jason. He's an old skinhead dude, but uh, we were listening to fucking Ted Nugent and um, Cat Scratch Fever came on. And I think I was oh, yeah. about I think I was about eight years old. And I'd already been plucking on my mom's guitar at the house. And I figured that shit out on my own. You know, it's fucking, it's not too much. It's not too difficult, but for a little kid, it's kind of like, so I just started plucking on a tennis racket and then I went home and I was like, yo, I could play this shit, man. You know, cats, man, 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 and pretty soon I was playing the fucking jam and my mom's like, God damn it. We're going to get this dude a guitar. And I was like, Yeah, because I couldn't concentrate at school. I got really bad ADHD to this day, but uh, I could fuck with some guitar, some BMX, or some soccer. You know what I'm saying? You play soccer. It's just like, like especially with people like our brains function different. I know we're a lot calmer nowadays, but you know, when we first met each other, um, like with the ADHD, man, I couldn't sit still. So, man, guitar and get, and plus my mom was dying. My mom's still alive. Thank God and Satan, whoever you're into, but. My mom, fucking a lot of that that um, negativity that I was getting off my mom, I was losing and playing guitar for hours a day, you know. And then I met my homeboy Mike Stout when I moved out of Oak Park, and um, <clears throat> he passed away about a year and a half ago. But
0: he started rest in peace, guitar. Mike.
1: Yeah, Mike Stout was a great dude, man. Dude, Wonderful good, dude. guy. But uh, he he started playing guitar, so we were just little kids, man. Nine nine years old 10 years old and and we just started playing you know in in about like about like 1981 man I fucking heard I think it was the um uh, this uh Seven Seconds Seven Seconds is relatively a a local band of Sacramento I know they absolutely claimed, they claim Skino, which is basically Sparks Reno Nevada but um Kevin's lived here longer than he lived in um in in um in um that area but nevertheless the bands like seven seconds were playing locally and i didn't start going to shows until about 1986 my first show i saw was um it was dri the circle jerks um this band called team urinals they were, sounded like youth of today straight edge band and then um god I, I and then this band sins of the flesh and you'll know this guy uh, his name's black kenny he's in pressure point an old black right. hell yeah, yeah. Oh, black ass Kenny um, from Pressure Point. He was uh, he was in this band called Sins of the Flesh. And a lot of us remember this band Corrosion of Conformity back in the mid 80s was probably one of the best thrash bands around probably right, all that time. And and then later they turned into Leonard Skinner. And then I just fucking fucked off on that. But the early Corrosion of Conformity, like specifically six songs with Mike singing, not me, uh, Technocracy, Animosity. Eye for yeah. an Eye. If you're a young kid, check those albums out. Eye for an Eye. That dude, Mike, the singer, he was playing bass and singing. That dude's voice is so nasty. And um, I remember in the, in about 1988, Corrosion of Conformity came out with Technocracies, one of their best albums. It was a big crossover album. In 88, there was a lot of crossover going on. And to raise above the other bands, you had to be specifically very good, like DRI. You know, that was some, But um, nevertheless, I remember in... And the skinhead scene here used to be very volatile and fucking um, corrosion of conformity technocracy. And in, the, in their linear notes, it said skinheads are biodegradable, which was basically calling out the skinheads, which like a lot of them used to be Nazi skinheads. So those dudes in corrosion, conformity, or corrosion of conformity were fucking nuts, man. They straight up a bunch of long hair dreadlock fucking punkers. From the Carolinas, I think called out a bunch. So anytime they would tour, they fucking fight the skinheads. No, I give those dudes credit because they they didn't give a fuck. But
0: now let me ask think... you something. I yeah. wanted to get yeah, I want to get your bearing on when you first went to that show. Did you even call it hardcore or were you calling it punk? Like when you were walking into that first show, did you even know what the fuck it was?
1: I was a fucking punker skin, we, and we yeah. Called so you're punk. already. It was punk, man, and 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 later on, it later on when it when it actually became like hardcore punk. I think it was one of the dudes from from Minor Threat, maybe, or somebody said it or it coined the phrase, whatever. But um, when it came down to the split, when it was hardcore punk, that was more like that was more like '87 and '88 when it started getting into the crossover scene, and like DRI used to be straight up punk. But, you know, we were all skinheads, but we'd still go see DRI. And we were like, this punk band's sick. And then later on, they became a crossover band, which turned into, I guess, kind of hardcore, you know? And the, the, there was bands like like bands. I didn't fuck with the Gorilla Biscuits, really, because they were a little too soft for me. But I'd still fuck with bands like um, that band from Chicago. What was it called? I'll think of it in a minute. But But there was bands like Uniform Choice that were more melodic and what the dude, no uh, what was that they were like a post-punk band they oh. had a song called drunk again da, 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 da. i have the vinyl around here somewhere but they but um i don't know the crossover scene like hardcore the the term hardcore punk was used like i think like 89 maybe like because pans would be like oh sick of it all yeah they're a hardcore punk band and i'd be like That's the fucking punk man, man, you know, but then whatever label you want to put on, I didn't give a fuck. I just wanted when I went to those shows, though, when I seen that motherfucking first show in 86, that shit got my motherfucking blood boiling. I was a young ass kid. My mom's at home dying. My dad, I I didn't kick it with my dad till my late 20s. He was kind of a fucking hard ass. You know, I I needed my ass kicked when I was a kid. But to escape that shit and escape worrying about my mom dying every fucking five seconds, I'd go to fucking hardcore shows. I'd run away two three days at a time i didn't give a fuck and when i went to them shows man i felt like that's my family now because i got my mom dying at my home my dad don't talk to me my brother's the fucking we don't get along i don't got no homies i'm like nine years old i'm running shit alone i don't got shit we just moved the fuck out of oak park i just luckily met mike stout black tony black robert dave bubba all my homies and we just go to fucking hardcore shows and get lost in that shit and back at the time we started experimenting with drugs and shit we drop acid tabs they used to call them acid tabs and stuff like that and man it the, the thing with hardcore music is like it you don't find it it finds you because from Absolutely. that day on from that day on it wasn't me going to the show the show was coming to me but like in refer- I, it, it, it was like a calling man i would anything to get downtown and i i lived like maybe six and a half miles from downtown and i'd skateboard i still skateboard to work once in a while but um i would skate to these shows man and i'd have my skateboard with me i'd have my jacket so i could sleep wherever someone fuck with me i'd have my board i'd kingpin them in the fucking head you know i'm a small dude but i'd go and fucking straight up squat outside these shows and just kick it with the kids man and it was it was like the the family you didn't have at home because shit was so fucked up when we'd be at home it was just it was horrible, man. And and going to them shows, it was just instant. And that you'd hear the guitar, man. And and these guys had really good guitar cabinets and heads back then. They had Marshalls. We didn't have shit. And and you just hear these guys playing, and you're like, God damn, man, that's the fucking most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life, man. That's home. It's fucking home.
0: Now, when you mentioned being a skinhead, how much information did you guys have about English skinheads and oi, or were you guys just shaved down like more like the American punk skinheads at that time.
1: Uh, England at the time for me was like, like, you know, like you said, the decipher between punk rock. I was listening to sex pistols and shit like that, but um, like Cox Bar and stuff like that didn't come later for me. We were sneaker skins.
0: Yeah. We yeah. Yeah. Casual types. Yeah. I get you.
1: Yeah. We didn't, we weren't sharps, but we definitely weren't fucking Nazis. You know, uh, most of us were kids from either Korean war dads or veterans from Vietnam. But um, we never, I never identified as English. My mom's from, my family's from South London on my mom's side, but I never identified as an Englander. When we were kids, we identified as American. We, we really cared about the country. Um, you know, nowadays people might, uh, fuck, fuck what kids think nowadays. Back then, we, we supported our country. You know, we gave a fuck. And, you know, while the punk rockers were going and throwing up anarchy signs, We were just going to work and working. We didn't have enough money for Doc Martin boots, nor did we want fucking Doc Martin boots because they were made in England. We'd get some fucking Air Force boots or something from the army in our country and rep that shit. And we'd get flight jackets, American flag patches, the whole thing. And we liked America, you know, and all the English influence in our country didn't come till the late 80s. And nobody had money for fucking Fred Perry's or Doc Martin's or like all this shit we would just be called we, I, to this day, I say, I'm a sneaker skin. I wore like that. I wore sneakers, man. And we didn't wear boots because we couldn't afford fucking doc Martins. They were 80 bucks back then. And 80 bucks back then was like $600
0: nowadays. So let me ask you something. What kind of, did you, were you cognizant of a scene or was it really just you guys and whatever shows you guys run into? Like, what was it like, looking at it now with a little bit of hindsight, were you cognizant that there was like something bigger than just the shows you're at? Like, Oh, there's these bands, there's these other cities, or was it just in the moment of being like young chaotic kids who were struggling on the streets together? Like how much were you actually aware of a bigger hardcore scene picture? Or was it just day by day, night by night, drinking, party acid fights? Like what was that? Like? What was the difference?
1: Oh man, it was all that. the, the latter you just said, but it was all like, it was, it was crazy, man. Like as far as identifying as like a scene and unfortunately I got wrapped up with some of the, the fucked up, like right wing skinheads for a while there and black Kenny and I, we, it split about like 87 and then there would be like Nazi skinheads, traditionals, sharps, communists. There was all different facets, but like at the time, as far as the scene goes, we rock shit from New York. We fucking love New York hardcore in Sacramento. Um, like fucking one of the. Best that demo. That I know you love
0: that Chromex demo.
1: Remember the first time we hung up? Yeah, Chromex. <laughs> yeah, I got that from one of some old pro skater. I think uh, fuck, I can't remember. I think Ricky Windsor or someone in like 84, 1984, I think I got that demo. And then later that year came the polished version of it. It was different though. Some of the songs sounded like they were different, but some of them sounded the same, just different um, post-production. But, but back then, like as far as knowing there was a bigger scene, I just knew there was about 25, 30 of us as skinheads and we'd kick it all the time. We didn't fuck with the punk rockers because the punk rockers were all breaking shit and doing anarchist shit. We were just working kids. you know. We'd go to school or work and just go to the shows. And a lot of those dudes were drug addicts and they would shoot heroin. And smoke um, back then angel dust, sherm. It's um, horse tranquilizers. I never really tried to fuck with that. I didn't really want to do drugs when I was a younger kid. But being an eight, nine year old skinhead, you gotta earn your right of passage. And whatever you, those guys would make me smoke weed with angel dust in it. And
0: we'd Dust get, is a must.
1: Yeah, and we'd get tracked out and go fight other crews, or, or you know, go choke someone out with a fucking. A wire out of the fucking wall i mean glenn boogie you know glenn boogie him and i when i was about 11 years old we went and kicked some fucking nazi dude's ass dude's name was mike o'Shea i could say his name he's dead now but we choked him out and um unbeknownst to us he had a fucking rifle pointed at my face when we were leaving like some 30-06 so as an 11 year old kid I almost got my head blown off by some fucking nazi skinhead it's kind of wild but the scene was really scary back then man it was fucking yeah. but the the Shows were amazing, man. The energy, you know, hardcore, even to this day. The fucking when you
0: feel that shit, you get them fucking goosebumps, man. What did you, um, what do you recall about the venues? Was it just a couple of them then mm-hmm. and any of them stay around to now? Was it DIY spots? Or was it was like a big club.
1: It was, it was usually like this place called the second level. And they had like fucking, they had Sac State, the local, um, the local, um, college out here they would hire the football team guys to do security and it was on the second level of this building so you'd go up these stairs and they were about 30 stairs about 28 to 30 stairs up and they're pretty sharp angle but we'd go up the stairs get in the show it was maybe a 225 cap venue a little bar you know this it, it was a nice nice little setup but we'd go to the shows and and them fucking Nazi skinhead fucks would show up and they'd start beefing with them fucking security guards. And them security guards with these big, like, 300-pound black motherfuckers. They'd start wrecking on these skinheads. Then these skinheads would go downstairs. They'd throw these motherfuckers down and off the side of the stairs and shit. The skinheads would go get the homies in the alley that ain't paying to even see the show. They're just out there drinking. Next thing you know, these 20, 30 deep, these dudes would come around the corners with fucking like chains they used to wrap them around their their uh, belts and use a uh, a fucking master lock as their belt buckle but they'd wrap these motherfuckers and they'd start attacking the security guards and then you know then the rockers would come out and they'd get curb stomped like fucking their teeth knocked the fuck out it's crazy
0: can you recall the first time that you went to a show outside of sacramento Ooh, wow that was at um Eric Ozine from Redemption 87 booked hoods. And, um, Oh, so that was way later, like 94, 95.
1: Yeah. I never left Sacramento when we were kids because, because if you went to another area and they knew you were from Sacramento, you'd get beat down because we beefed with everybody.
0: Yeah. So it was mostly local stuff. So then the yeah, question would be, what, what was the first bands that you guys were starting? Who started the first band out of your group? Ooh. Like how, how'd that stuff start getting kicked off?
1: Well, basically, you know the you know Jose Straight Edge Jose. Yeah, yeah, he was out here. He started. I came back to. By the time I live, I left the country when I was about fifteen years old. I came back here at about twenty. Yeah, you years you were old. playing.
0: You were playing. Um, playing what was that uh, Bundesliga Bundesliga B? Uh,
1: the, I was on the Dritte uh, Oberliga Mannschaft. Um, that's the third division, the reserve third division. Baseball. Yeah. But I was over there kicking soccer balls. But when I came back to this country, it was about like 1994, I think. And it was weird because I kicked my first show well, back. Hold on. let's
0: got... Before we just get rid of the shows, we, we should just because so people are like, what the fuck's he talking about? Nowadays, soccer is integrated all over the country. Major performance levels have risen so high in the last 30 years in America. But Mike Hood legitimately played in one of the few meccas Whereas an American teenager and preteen, you could be trained at a world-class level. And he was fucking recruited for German professional soccer at this. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about he got a chance to play in Germany. That's where Sacramento was at. That's how far ahead. In 1993, America played Sheffield's Wednesday in Philadelphia, and we didn't even have a grass pitch yeah it with was John a baseball Hartz. field it was a baseball field with fucking like covers over the diamond and shit that's how pathetic you know uh the world cup philadelphia didn't even get a fucking game because we didn't have a grass pitch there were so few grass soccer pitches yep. that the the world cup in 94 was pathetic in comparison to now if america had the world cup soccer would be so much different because it took so long to catch up to being even at european level but just That's for those listening who are like, what's Mike expo- talking about? Mike wasn't fucking around about soccer. He legitimately was recruited to live and play in the third division of Bundesliga, which is the German professional soccer league. That's why I was, I just wanted to give a background for people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I played in Nuremberg for a while. And um, I think I was about 17 or 18. I played for them for like on and off for the, on the reserve team for, I played like maybe four or five matches. And then I went to Schalke. Schalke is up in Westfalen or Westfalen. Schalke Fear. Schalke 04, they're the blue and white team. That's the team I support to this day. I played two games with them. And then um, I traveled with different third and fourth division teams. I ended up ultimately with a team called Interact Aust. And it's from Belgium. It's basically from the Brugge region, which is in Flanders yeah. in the northern part. And I think right now they're in fourth division. But when I played there, they were in second division. And we were going to go move up to the first division. But in, a, in moving up to the first division in a test game, I tore my um, sartorius muscle. Or in German, it's called a Leiste. I don't know how to explain it in English. But I tore that muscle and snapped like rubber band. So I ended up back here. And so that's when I met guys like Jose. It was 1994, getting back to Sacramento. I met this guy, Jose, and he had this band called Blindside. And it was like, it so happened to be the week I moved home and they got Biohazard, sick of it all, and Fear Factory is opening. And my homeboy, Logan, and Jose wow. are playing in this band called Blindside, which sounded kind of like Mouthpiece or something like that. And Tim, the, guitar- the singer of, blindside ended up in a band called trial from seattle and so that was the sacramento crew back then it was tim from trial jose logan me and then all the all my guys which um the most hated was totally different we'll get to that later but so i started hanging out with those guys and then i started hoods i was like hey logan who was from blindside jose and um Tim from Trials Band, I got him to play bass. Then I got Black Tony, of which I grew up with. We used to skateboard together. Um, we're both originally from Oak Park, and somehow we met each other in Greenhaven, um, the whitest neighborhood ever. And um, we started a band, and it fucking took off. And I shit, I talked to Tony the other day. He's actually going to come and do some shit with us coming up Bob, here. But, yeah, yeah, but Black Tony, yeah, um, he, uh, but, yeah, great guy, great skater. Um, but yeah, we, um, we, we just started playing and, and I mean, there was a handful of us, there was literally six of us and, and it turned into 10 of us. Now it's just Sacramento is great. You know, just like when I go to Philadelphia, you guys got a wonderful scene and it's just like, like the shit we started with. Like I met you, Joe, at the, 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 what's it called? The Trocadero,
0: I think. No, it was a church that you, instead of remember there was the hood show that you guys played with mushmouth and hate reading. It was uh, no no, that was the one outside. That was the second time. The first okay. time you guys played some show out in Drexel Hill Baptist Church, and it was like me, black Mike, black Tony, yeah. and we all went and it was like out in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. And that was uh 90, that was 98. Okay. And then we came out, and then we came out with dysphoria the following summer
1: okay and i specifically remember when we came back with it was uh it was hate read, po- propane mush mouth yep. and hoods and we played that big place i remember you and black yeah. black uh black, Ass black mike. yeah black mike just destroyed boyertown everybody. it was
0: boy it was not boyertown it was called phoenixville
1: yeah, and I used to fuck with you because you had that fucking, um, that, that hornet, Mickey's hornet tattoo on your wrist and you were a straight edge Still got kid. it.
0: <laughs> Still got <laughs> it. Fucking,
1: a fucking straight edge kid with the fucking Mickey's hornet tattoo on his wrist and he's like 12 years old. What the fuck? You can't make that up. <laughs> so funny. Oh my now God. Let me what ask you what, did you do, what, how'd you put that on with Indian ink? Cause we used to do that with, we would get like a fucking E string from a guitar and just bang that motherfucker out.
0: The only house tattoo I've ever gotten in my life is that tattoo. And that's Dude. for, uh, that's for a gang from my old neighborhood that oh. my uncle, my uncles were in like my, my go. father's, my father's. Yeah. Yeah. My, my father's uncle, my father's father's brother. My uncle Dennis was in the original lot crew and they all got Mickey's B's jackets. And a couple of them got tattoos. Cause Back then, unless you were a biker or really a psycho, you didn't get tattoos. So they had a yeah, yeah. Mickey's B on their jacket. And when he told me, I was asking him, like, Uncle Dennis, like, what do you guys do as a lock crew? He's like, well, we drink pints of beer. And if no girls came around, we would walk down the neighborhood. And every corner, we would tell people, we're going to Hissy Playground to fuck them up. Do you want to come with us or do you want to rumble right now? And I'm like, what happens if they want to fight? He's like, well, then we'd fight them. But a lot of times, by the time we got to Hissy Playground, which Hissy was a uh, home of another gang. By the time that gang got down to hissy, there'll be like 30 or 40 of them because hissy was a big gang. But apparently that's all the lock crew did was go after chicks, drink the the bottle, pints of beer and and get in the rumbles in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And And then every generation in that neighborhood after also got the Mickey's B tattoo. And eventually me and my cousins got the Mickey B's tattoo.
1: Yeah, I thought that was classic. <laughs> the fucking straight edge kid with a Mickey's tattoo. I knew there's something behind it because, you know, like, yeah, we used it when that's the reason I got my um, first sleeve. I got that from Scott Sylvia. I think, you know, Scott Yeah, I remember Sylvia. that, but I got this tattoo on my arm. I didn't want tattoos. I never wanted tattoos. But when we were kids, I had black flag bars here and then a dead Kennedy's thing and an anarchy sign with like a swastika or some shit. We had no <laughs> idea what it meant. Yeah, you're just wilding out. Yeah, but I saw Bill Downforth skateboarder Bill Downforth. He had a big swastika on a skateboard and an anarchy sign, and I thought that looks cool. So I got I tattooed the shit on my arm with a fucking uh,
0: guitar needle. I had no idea it was uncouth. I didn't know a swastika. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, it was just then. It was just kind of like a a rub. Like people were trying to yeah. fuck with, with people. Trying to yeah, fuck with yeah. other people. Well, I didn't, I didn't know what a swastika really... I had an Israeli or like a, a,
1: a Jewish aunt. I, my aunt's Jewish and, and and my mom's not all the way white. And and I'm here fucking with anarchy signs, peace signs and swastikas. So I'm the dumb fuck. You know, now I see kids do this shit. I see these kids, these punk rockers came through my neighborhood the other day. They put up a swastika just to cross it out, which is stupid. Yeah. And then they put up a peace sign and then they put up that, um, that um, equality sign you know, it's like, if you got to go and write the obvious on the wall, then that's pretty pathetic in the first place. And your life is pretty
0: bland. <laughs> Let me ask you something. When you started hoods, besides playing Sacramento, do you even know what else to do? Like, did you even have an idea of what to do with the band besides play this for a show and then like play this next show? Like how the hell did you like, I mean, early on, eventually you get to deal with Puss Cavern and Eric, but like working in the band when you first got started, did anybody like any older guys say like, Hey Mike, you got a band now. You got to do this. Like how the hell did you get to where you would take hoods from basically getting back from Germany and starting this band? Did the blind side guys know a little bit more? Like how did you guys start functioning in the very beginning?
1: Nah, there was no generals back then, you know, and I'm kind of a, I don't know if you know me, you know, I, if I like something, I'm fucking going to do it a hundred percent. And I just, I, I went and, I saw all these punk bands touring like MDC. I fucking love MDC. It's one of love my them. favorite
0: punk bands. Great. Dude, that band. dude's probably still one of the best vocalists of all time. Yeah. Most antagonistic, crazy would be in a room full of like skinheads in Dallas, calling them and all talk queers. Shit. Yeah, talk shit. You suck dick too. Don't be mad that I at least am honest about it. You know, like yeah. he was brutally honest, man. One of the greatest yeah. punk men. And under and under under um acknowledged in today's uh scene. Yeah. Dave Dichter. Hard, hard dude. Talked to him yeah. twice in hey, Philadelphia. That fucking MDC
1: would come to the Sacramento and they would fight the skinheads. The shows, I went to see MDC like two, at least one time at the Crest Theater on K street. I loved MDC, but I was running with all the skinheads. So I had to fucking be kind of on that team. Um, cause it was like prison shit back then we our kids you have to stick with your homies and we went to fight these fools and i'm like why are we fighting them i love mdc you know i didn't get all the politics back then but yeah. MDC, unbeknownst to me half the dudes we were with were into like politics and we weren't and we'd be like we'd be like mexican or black kids and we'd be just be like what are these dudes doing these guys are starting to act weird so pretty much we we're like now ah, and that's when Nazi skinheads, pretty much the Geraldo and Oprah and uh, Morton Downey Jr. bullshit came out and the propaganda that, you know, you'd have one Nazi skinhead to 80 normal skinheads. So the media machine would do its thing and fucking make every skinhead look like a
0: fucking Nazi, which was contraire. So as you're as you're navigating all this and you're doing hoods, who were the first couple people that you were linking up with besides Sacramento bands? Or was It was even Sacramento bands to play with when you guys started. There was fucking nobody. I mean, shortly after that powerhouse, um, I met them. Fucking but, right, that demo. Yeah, they had the demo because that's what they said. Yeah, once I, they, they dropped their demo and they realized that you were around, they were kind of like, oh, fuck, here we go. We got a we squad here, SACTO in Oakland. Yeah. Here's
1: what happened is um, um, Timmy, and you know Hard Carl from D.C. That's my jiu-jitsu
0: came, partner, my brother for life.
1: Yeah, so Timmy. Was living out here with Hard Carl, little Teddy. I called him little Timmy Scissor Kicks because the dude's smaller than me. He's a little fucker. I don't even know if he's around anymore. He's a Maryland hick dude, but him and um, Hard Carl are out here. Mike Erickson and we ended up booking Madball, and we got Powerhouse on this man. That's how I met Powerhouse. But to get before that, when I first started hoods, far as, as far as booking going goes, I knew I wanted to go to New York and play with fucking Warzone fucking agnostic front Madball, fucking murphy's law one of the best bands in hardcore ever murphy's law um and then i wanted to uh, you know our first tour we went we went and played wnyu we met um the the glenn from billy club sandwich with the afro oh, the yeah um yeah. martine the singer of um, um, all the guys and then um we met ray b's Bees. Ray Bees came and we did a, a Warzone cover i think we did um as one or, no, we did wound up, and Rayvi sang it in the studio. It's still on the WNYU tapes, but um, yeah, we met all those dudes. But the first people to help me out really were
0: Shane from the Killer Chicago, um, Shane Merrill, day. who has been Shane. on a guest, been a guest on the podcast, and also gave me a love to You." All right, yeah, Shane. Yeah. Shane's one of the
1: best people ever. Shane's really cool. He's he's been helpful. We still book shows to this day with Shane. And then the other person who was one of the most helpful people. And um, I recently started talking to him again. Um, what is Jeff from Cold
0: Life? He gave me so much direction. Jeff, Jeff was a my- uh, Jeff. Jeff was also a, a podcast guest. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're in. Yo, you're, you're, you're in the alumni, brother. That's why we had to bring you on.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, Jeff's a great dude. But like, let me no ask you thing. something.
0: I'm gonna break you. I'm to break it down with this because this has been said on the podcast. When we first started fucking with you guys, every one of the dudes in the hoods. Were the only band that everyone rock cold as life gear. Like crutch had played with them. They played with dysphoria, but I remember linking up with you guys out here. And I'm like, where the fuck did you get these cold as life hoodies? And you're yeah, like, yeah. yo, we fucking. And I was saying, you know, now obviously with the record being out again and the hoodies, I was trying to tell people like, yo, back when, back then you had a no cold as life to get them hoodies or go yeah. see them. And hoods, yep. hoods was but the first was- band. Hoods, and and, you know, not just the first lineup with Tony, but like even the Mario Ben lineup, like Hoods repped Coldest Life like a gang. Like it was fucking great. Still do. Yeah. And and the thing is, is for me, like seeing the Coldest Life hoodies, I was like, damn, fucking Hoods is down like that. Like they they got the whole link up with the whole band's rocking it. So when you linked up with Jeff, how did you link up with him? Dude, I fucking like. The tape training or writing
1: letters. Basically, um, Rick to Life back then from 25 to Life had his little distro going, and I had stuff from out here. I had local bands. I'd help all the locals if they had a little demo. We didn't have much of a scene, but we would trade demos with Rick to Life, and then I ended up hearing about Coldest Life, I think, not Maximum Rock and Roll, but I think it was from Chris Wynn, in effect. Yeah, in effect, who was also on the podcast.
0: Oh, oh, wow. Chris Wynn's great. Yeah, on, Chris, effect. I told you, man, you're you're in the alumni now, man. The whole squad's Dude. been on the show. Yeah, yeah. Chris
1: Chris Wynn, man, he the best magazine ever in Hardcore. Um, in effect, Absolutely. Chris Wynn, New York City, man, he did so much for everybody. That guy fucking worked hard. He he, he helped. He was like. Yeah, yeah he, he did. He did great things for Hardcore. But but to get back to Jeff from Cold Life, I've never had a mentor in Hardcore. It, but the one person who was somewhat of that person was Jeff because I started with Shane in Chicago, and we started our first tour. I just booked the motherfucker. I got in book your own fucking life. I knew yep. Jeff from Cold his Life. I knew uh,
0: Mike from Blood for Blood, the old drummer of Blood for yeah, Blood. Yeah, Mike Mahoney. And, Gina, the, yo, and he's wearing player. the glasses. He was wearing the glasses that you wear now. Remember he had he had like the tight cut, yeah, the fucking yeah. black frame glasses. He looked, like yeah, he, serial, he looked like the he looked like dude from Falling Down, but like a Boston he, dude. He looked like Buzz Cut from Beavis and Butthead. Yes, he did. Well, now he's
1: fucking- he's now he still looks like that, but he's he's a lot bigger. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say I didn't say that though. He'll probably hear it. Whatever, Mike. You, you, I lose some weight, motherfucker. I don't give a shit. Quit eating Lucky Charms, motherfucker.
0: So <laughs> one of the things that we always talk about on the show is just how. Before the era of booking agents and internet oh, yeah. You had to rely on booking within your community And booking yeah. with bands And then it was kind of like a turnstile effect You come to Detroit When they come here, you look out You go to Boston It was always a cyclical thing Where the favor was returned So a lot of it was book your own fucking life And word is ma- like word, word of mouth um, yeah. My first connection to Hoods was through a guy you used to trade vinyl with for his small distro uh, gut punch, Bob. And he put out like a couple seven inches and he carried hood seven inches. And when, so when the hood seven Inch first came out, Bob from South Jersey, Bob Liverton, he had it. Yeah. Bob.
1: Liber- yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I used to write him snail mail. Yeah. 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 We, he used and- to have a, li- he used to send these little, um, like a little checklist of what you wanted. we ship ship and and then shortly and and another way we used to find out about other bands like you said when initially when i was first starting out i would get like the wrecking crew from boston like their um, balance of terror and you'd look in the linear notes or you'd get the war zone open your eyes and you would see, oh, they thanked Bad Brains, and the Bad Brains would thank Murphy's Law, and Murphy's Law would thank fucking Nausea, and Nausea would thank fucking Corrosion of Conformity, would thank DRI, would thank fucking Motorhead, and it just, all these bands just intertwined, so every band on Linear Notes, you'd be looking them up. Next thing you know, you're finding crazy shit like fucking Murphy's Law and the Bad Brains, obviously. I found the Bad Brains in 84, but... You know, that's how we that's how we used to find other bands, man. And we'd be like, oh, you know, you know, Jeff Cold is life? Fuck, man, I know that dude. Yo, we're, next thing you know, we're playing the rat in Boston with fucking Blood for Blood and Reason Enough, which is yeah. reach, the, reach the skies band. And and here we're hanging out with Minus. From fucking Marauder up in and um hanging out by Fenway fucking Park. And the first person I ever had falafel with was Minus from Marauder. He's like, Yo, you're vegetarian? And I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, Let's go get some falafel. And I'm like, All right. And I'm like, What the fuck is falafel? And we get there and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, Oh shit, this is Arab food. And I was like, What the fuck? And to this day, dude, I fucking. I love falafel, so thank you, Minus. I see him in Florida, too. He's a great
0: dude. Minus, Did you interview him yet? Uh, He's elusive, but one day I hope to get him on the show. Dude, hey, that's a motherfucker who's got some...
1: He's an elder to me, and when when I... That dude's got some crazy... Whenever I see him in Florida, we just sit in front of the show and talk, because that dude's stories are incredible.
0: Now, he's an intense person, but like a legit true like hardcore person still to this day. Oh, I love
1: no that. Guy. Yeah, you'll get you will always get a straight answer, no bullshit, no ego, no fucking attitude, just fucking straight up, man. I love that, dude. And yo, and and the, I think Upstate re-released the um demos, right?
0: Yeah, it just came out. Dude, I was going to come out.
1: Yet. I need to hit Mario up. I haven't heard him yet, but I I obviously have the old Marauder demos. Because when the the minus ones were, they were very unique. His vo- voice wasn't the best, but it had character. You know that dude. That dude's a nasty motherfucker. He's a good dude.
0: Now I, I think like there was a time, and I said this on stage this weekend. There was a time when to be in a hard band, you had to be something. You had to either be intense, intimidating, electrically performative, and I think minus checks all them boxes. So like, yeah, all of the awareness. You know, like, and also there was a time when not trying to have the death metal vocals, like, no one would have thought to have death metal vocals for a long time. It was about having heart, like, there was a lot of, I mean, look at Ray's voice, Jimmy's voice, Sib's voice, Ray's voice, Roger, like, none of these guys were trying to do the shit that I kind of do now, like, the Yo, uh,
1: Hey, think of this, what you said about him trying not to be all metal at that time, especially during crossover and the sick of it all and all that shit. Think of Leeway
0: my favorite
1: yeah but my think of how think of how he was cl- keeping his vocals clean and think if leeway they would have been way more marketable with somebody who was like blah, blah. but that dude kept it like that and created his own shit just the same thing as life of agony you know they kept their own style you know and some of the other day said green day sold out and i was like no green day's music finally caught up and got popular you know, those are still the same thing. And to this day, like bands like Leeway, if they were singing harsh and heavy, they would have got forgotten like the rest of them. Because the only now, band he sticks out like that from back then is the fucking cro And they were still kind of singing pretty clean.
0: Let me ask you something as you're finding all this hardcore stuff. In like 92, 93, and 94, you're out, you're getting exposed when you come back to like hardcore in that time period. But Sacramento and West Coast was very very punk and it was yeah. still kind of like the pioneer of oh, what yeah. we now what we now take for granted for like the homogenization of like hard dancing and hard bands Sacramento was very very punk rock and not so much on like the you know the ninja pit and all that so as you guys are coming out east and into midwest and and linking up how are you reacting to the exposure of like oh fuck this is how they do it out here like how were you getting like when you were getting exposed to some of the East Coast mosh styles and the different way things were? Like, were you getting hip to it, or you're like, "Oh man, this is some fucking weird shit"?
1: Not really, because like, I mean, I was going to shows when I lived in Germany playing soccer, and we kick, I box. so I was right in with that shit, you know. Um And like the last shows I seen in Germany, I saw a No for an answer, and oh, they. And, um, they did Man some oh. old, like Carrie nation shit, but they, um, they, Big they friend. ended, they ended, they ended with Anthem and I started dancing. I started kicking motherfuckers in the face. And at the time I played pro soccer and I was knocking motherfuckers out and, you know, we were punching because we hit people, you know, we punch people out here in, in circle pit and shit and, and stage dive. And then when the, the all that jujitsu East coast shit started getting incorporated, when I first started seeing shit like that, because the back then the, the hardest pits were like maybe like I wouldn't say New York City. I would say Jersey over New York City, oh, Philly, over, yeah. Philly over both of those. Like when we used to play like the little kill time and, and, and in a little tiny room, motherfuckers, would, it was like samurai swords with your legs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Boston had the dudes who would. Boston always had like 300 pound white dudes who would just bully through the crowd they would run through a why were they crowd. always
0: so fucking big i don't like the, seriously it's,
1: it's the water in the air up there is hella clean they don't have no toxic shit in the fucking streams and shit you go down to the city we're all fucked up we're all inbred and fucking we're all missing chromosomes you go up to new england those are how people are supposed to be made they're normal and they actually you know those the, the new england dudes always had jobs they were always functioning they were always clean and well kept and they were always like football played motherfuckers. They're always healthy, you know. Then you get Sacramento people. We're all fucking retarded out here, and fucking you, Philly people are fucking lunatics.
0: You we're know, like we're because like, we live like mutants under the train.
1: Yeah, <laughs> under oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 just like Boston. I mean, those dudes were always big, like uh, Chris. Uh, yeah, uh, fucking yeah, Chris Baldwin. Uh, you speaking of people bringing you under their arms, Chris Baldwin to this day is one of my favorite people. Uh, but the first time we played Boston, um, we ended we were playing the Rat, and it was Hoods, um, um, Blood for Blood. It was um, Diecast's first show.
0: Fuck okay, yeah, Jeremy, that's the yeah, man right there,
1: Jeremy. And it was their first and second show because the night before we played the Elvis Room up in New Hampshire with them and then 25 to life fury of five and like i said reason enough ian reached the sky but that was at the rat, rat boston and after that show we went to chris Win's house and we stayed in the basement him and dewey dewey i think was like eight years old or something at the time dewey was tiny he was like my height but chris we're staying at the, in the basement i became really good friends to this day with chris Wynn's mom wait wait uh, chris baldwin chris baldwin i always baldwin. call him chris Wynn because they're so close together yeah exactly i would say chris for the win baldwin you know but chris baldwin but his mom i went down in the basement and i found a pack of cigarettes and he had this huge moose and i thought it was a fucking deer because i never seen wall like that. <laughs> you don't see you don't see animals hanging on walls out here in cali the motherfuckers out here are hella pc but this motherfucker had a big ass deer a fucking jackalope but he had this big ass moose right when you went down into his basement and I found a pack of cigarettes and I put the cigarette in the moose's mouth. And to this I, to this day, like I think uh, it, 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 Chris's mom got such a kick out of that. She always remembered little Mike. So I can, the next couple of times we would come through, we would stay with his mom, you know, and I think he said that that you, I, you could ask Chris Baldwin or do it. I think that cigarette stayed in that moose's mouth for damn near 12 years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, You didn't You you really came back after that east coast run With a oh, whole new Understanding of like how to network Did you oh, think you man. applied That networking shit into What was going on in NorCal and like down in the bay Like did you have to start regulating And tell Chris and Ernie and them like Yo we gotta start linking up like what did you learn From that trip and how did you apply it to like the west coast California scene Well the um the mad ball show. Sorry, Joe, are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The mad ball
1: show. When I met all those guys, um, we went on tour shortly after that. So we had already planted the seed with Chris powerhouse and Ernie and Eddie powerhouse. I fucking love Eddie powerhouse. Eddie Medina.
0: That's a... that's a fucking yeah, man he... machete. Eddie,
1: Eddie and I have a connection because we're both guitarists, dude. We've always had that. We play guitar. That's what we do. You know? Like, you know, some st- skate street, vert, ramp, whatever. We play guitar. I love that dude. But I met those dudes. And then I clicked up with them. And then um, Eric Ozine from Redemption 87. was um, dude. Um, Second Coming, Joey from Second Coming. Oh, yeah. Um, and then um, the first Bay Area show, speaking of getting out of Sacramento, we played the Alameda Saloon in Alameda. with It was Redemption 87, Lockjaw. I think it was. No, it was Redemption 87 hoods powerhouse and um one of the hell's angel dudes had a band called um god what were they called that dude shack shack uh not low life but some they were crazy those dudes were fucking nuts but they had this other zbs 0. Bullshit. Yeah. and eric Ozine from redemption booked this it was at the alameda saloon and that was um, shortly after the the mad ball show and right after that we went on tour and took over the fucking world for a couple years but that's how it all started but eric ozine with redemption 87 they started blowing up timmy from a um, token entry was a guitar player um they, they were a great band we used to play the berkeley square with them all the time we brought hate greed out we brought blood for blood we brought stigma well, can you,
0: can you break down, down can you break down how those shows were getting put over and in NorCal because I know like obviously Blood for Blood and Stigmata was a tour. Like okay. as like the stuff from the East Coast was hitting NorCal, how did it how did it meet the California punk burgeoning hardcore scene at that time? And because I mean like it's you, it's Chris Powerhouse and Eddie who you know I'm gonna have Chris Powerhouse on the show shortly. Yeah and Chris is you know and the thing is is you know uh, I'm on a west coast tour and I'm I mean I've done 50 something episodes and I've not really gotten to the meat of the West Coast stuff. And, you know, you guys are, you know, lifelong friends of mine at this fucking point. I've known you long, yeah. you know, more than half my life. Yeah. And I think that me and you have maybe talked about this twice ever in our lives. And I've always wanted people to hear, like, how you guys pioneered and integrated so much of the East Coast into the West Coast and via this.
1: Well, we brought, like, when, when the, all that Kung Fu shit. When we came back to Cali, we started kicking motherfuckers in the face, and then it slowly integrated. There was less um, circle pits. The music got a little bit more breakdowny, you know. And then there started being beatdown bands, which you didn't hear of on the West Coast ever. And you know, we still play fast beats and shit. And then the powerhouse guys I met them. They didn't tour as much as we did, but they 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 definitely put a mark on the scene. We'd go down and play LA with them, and we'd meet up with bands like. Fuck man, back then, back then. Um, built to last from San
0: Diego, they were a great band, dude. Um, um, they fucking ripped,
1: yeah. Date, great, great dude. Um, built to last. Um, then there was NIV, No
0: Innocent Victim. They were Christian, dude, dudes but they, dude. They, they were, were so fucking cool. Jason was Dun- nice. Jason, Jason, I think, right? Yeah, Jason was one of the coolest, Motherfuckers yeah. Face you down, know, like, face yeah. down, was it? Yeah,
1: face down records. And then you, you, when I had talked to you, met. Yesterday, when we were doing the pre-stuff for for what we're doing right now, you had mentioned this region of Southern California. Like Sacramento, we get no respect because we're just a bunch of fucking working class hicks in the valley. Same thing with this place I'm going to mention called um, Ojai and Oxnard, where this band Die Hard Youth came from, Tehachapi. They had a great scene. And then, you know, the Warriors, the Warriors played their first show with us at Jerry's Pizza in Bakersfield. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it's like what pisses me off about certain things is you'll get all these L.A. bands getting all this credit and all this shit. But L.A. didn't do a fucking thing back then. And I can't say some shit that happened between us and some of the L.A. bands. But there's a couple of bands. We fucked them up for talking shit back then. We later became friends. Mexican band and I smashed on a couple of them. But these are bigger fucking bands. We can't really talk about that. But but what makes me mad is the bands down there that were really making effort was andy from diehard youth he was doing shows at the the women's center in ojai and and those guys were cool man and then then you'd go down to like san diego like i said no innocent victim and built to last and fucking Joe joe from um showcase yeah joe from showcase would do the most beautiful shows right there and that that place was in a fucking parking lot of a there was a fucking dollar store next door. And then you'd go down to Tijuana and you'd play with Lalo, Lalo blood, Tijuana man. If you're, if you ever, if anybody's listening from anywhere, if you ever get a chance to play a fucking third world country, that's right over the border, go play Tijuana. It's beautiful. Fucking, I can't speak good enough about the scene in general. All of the Mexican shows. If, if you're a band tour Mexico, it's one of the best experiences you'll ever have.
0: We played down there in, um, Around the time of a uh, Of a Halloween show
1: Was it Punishment or Shattered
0: Shattered Realm It was right okay. before we linked up for that tour uh-huh. And there was massive amounts Of cod pieces involved With all these Mexican dudes um, Costumes And I have a pictures On a photo bucket Of a Jesus and the devil And I made them b-boys dance with each other And it was very hard to do because I spoke no English But I had Renee with me at yeah, Renee Renee and, Renee. and I was like, yo, I'm like Can you get them to the b-boy? Like I have a, a picture of a Mexican So I have a picture of a Mexican devil dude With a crazy cod piece Next to a Jesus dude And like, that was one of the funniest Fucking shows we ever played I'm gonna tell you, nobody knew Anything about Shadow Realm They came in costumes and they fucking wrecked Shop And they then we end- lines, right? Yeah, and then we ended up getting crazy uh, dick pills at the pharmacia. <laughs> yeah, and
1: those like, blue ones. The blue ones, right?
0: Yeah, because we, yeah, they're We'd like, yo, you can, They're like, you could buy anything there. For some reason, Shadaram was like, let's get a bunch of dick pills.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> we, we we fucking break them up and snort them and get fucked up. <laughs> hey, Joe, did you was it the place back then was called the Voodoo Club Voodoo? And it had like all this tile and shit.
0: It was two levels. Yeah. Did, yes. did you play upstairs? I believe we played upstairs. Okay. I, I remember three things about it. I remember getting to, everywhere, right? I remember getting to Tijuana right at dusk. So like oh. I didn't get like a daylight atmosphere of I've never, you know, like I didn't get to, I only got like a dark party city. Oh and dude, I felt yeah. like the minute I got over the border, everybody was drunk as fuck. There was literally beer everywhere. And instead of Europe where someone comes up and has like a lit cigarette and they're super rude, the Tijuana kids were so affable and like excited. And they're trying to talk to you. And the ones who could talk would say like, we're so excited to see you. And I'm like, hey, man, I didn't even know anybody cared about us in Mexico. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's
1: one of the places we pioneered. That's for sure. But we so, go down there all the time, and and fuck, dude. Hey, not to not to cut you off real quick, but I uh, I booked. I think it was Death Before Dishonor. I booked their first West Coast tour down here. I just pissed in a bottle because I didn't want to get up. This is some tour shit. But uh, uh taking Be- a break now. I love it. Oh <laughs> uh, no, you know when you're on the road, you know how it is. But yeah. uh, Death Before Dishonor, I brought them down there the first time. I booked like five shows. They flew out. We're in the Hoods van. I bring these guys down here down to down to Tijuana, they get so fucked up. And I'm driving around hammered. And I get pulled over. And I think Brian was in the seat next to me. And he's just like, they're all coked the fuck out. And I'm <laughs> fucking. Okay, let's be real. I'm coked the fuck out. And I'm drunk as fuck. And I snorted some Viagra pills. My dick was hard as a fucking little baby arm. island Island, Brian death before dishonored Frankie are fucking hammered. And And we're driving out of Mexico. We get fucking pulled over. And Frankie's, or I think Brian was sitting next to me. And I'm like, chill out. Cool. Be fucking cool. And this fucking, all these dudes, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, tranquilo, tranquilo. You know, the tranquilo. I don't act like I speak any Mexican shit. And I'm like, tranquilo, 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 me." And and I'm like, chill. And I, I reach over. I'm like, give me a fucking 20, like right now. And they hand me a $20 bill. I'm like, bing, bing. And I hand him a $20 bill. The guy's like, and I, and so I'm like, fuck. So I go into my shoe. I had all my money in my shoe. I hand him a $20 bill and he's like, cool. Get the fuck out of here in perfect English. (laughs) And before that, they were like, and I'm like, oh my God. And then, then, then after we gave him the second 20, he's like, now get the fuck out of here. And I was like, motherfucker. We just got jacked. But dude, we could have went to jail, like straight up fucking jail.
0: So. To get the story in line with stuff, as Hoods is going out and doing these things, how soon did you realize that, you know, um, the the comparisons or were there contractions? Like, how did you compare East Coast to West Coast once you started going down South and you started to have a fuller picture of what West Coast hardcore was like?
1: Hmm. I just thought the kids out there danced a lot different. And the, the, the communities were a lot different. You'd go, you'd play a show in like Philly with a bunch of kids that were resembled cities like where I'm from or Detroit or Chicago. And then you would go into places like New England where you would see kids pulling up in Range Rovers, you know, it was, it, the East Coast was very um, um, dynamic or not dynamic. It was very a lot of it was a broad spe- spectrum of people like we're out here. Most of the kids who went to hardcore shows, we were all working class, just fucking skater, fucking punk rockers, BMX kids, you know, street, more street oriented. But the East Coast, the dancing was a lot different. It was more of that Kung Fu shit. And then we met dudes like when we play in the city that would um, some of the good dancers, Joe, you and Black Mike were, were a couple of them from Philly. You guys always fuck people up um, fucking. Um, and then there was this kid from this crew called IDS.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, all the dudes from uh, uh, Queens and Long Island that were fucking with, like, um, BCS and old yeah. Sworn Enemy when they are called Mindset, yeah.
1: Yeah, Billy Club, Mindset, NYC, which turned into Sworn Enemy, Sal. Um, but there was that one little guy. Uh, he passed away. Um, um, oh, Little Greg, R.I.P. Little, R. Greg. R. Greg. little Greg's my dude. Hey, um, the, he was in a band. Little Greg was in a
0: band called, um, I think, Denial. Red Red Eye Devil. Yeah, he, played that. In, he played in Denied, and then he later was in another band called Red-Eyed Devil.
1: Okay, here's a crazy story. When I met all those IDS dudes, we were in fucking, like, Brooklyn somewhere, and we were broke down on the side of the road. And here comes the singer and his wife, and they were both in this band, Denied with Little Greg. They were in the Instant Death Squad IDS crew. But we're on the side of the road, and the, the other Greg, Big Greg, pulls up, and he, hey. and we're on the side of the road, broke down. And Big Greg pulls up and he comes up and I pull out a fucking crowbar and I'm like, back the fuck up or I'll fuck you up. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> and he's like, chill out, bro. And he's like, calm down. And I'm like, I'll fucking kill you. I, like you could ask me, but I was like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Get the, I didn't know what he's, he looked like some Guido and I'm fucking about to crack this motherfucker. Whoa. It looks like the floor punch, uh, photo, huh? <laughs> but I'm about to crack this fool. Unbeknownst to me, it's fucking Big Greg from Denied. And he's like, no, no, I'm just trying to help you. And I, cause I thought we were being robbed cause that it was crazy back then. And, and, and we're like, what the fuck? And it just so turned out that we were playing the show later that night with these guys. We ended up crewing up, meeting up with all the IDS guys. Those guys were kind of crazy back then with a the mess. They loved that shit.
0: Whew. I think every big city had its own areas of where you could say, Certain certain cities had certain specific things that they were like about, you know, like oh yeah, um, Philly, Connecticut was really dust dudes, a lot of drinking and a lot of dust. The like pill guys were on, New England. Yeah, like there was always different areas, and it always blew my mind. Specifically, when there would be these different things. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, um, every time we've discussed Rick to Life on this show. We've done a good job of not Like denigrating him And bullying him And a couple of times he said some really Me and Richie have said some really nice shit Despite all the stupid fucking shit he says on the internet mm-hmm. So um, Obviously You know he was a blueprint On like connecting people at the time And eventually we- you guys were gonna release You guys would release Your first thing Out as a 7-inch on his label
1: yeah, yeah. The once again 7-inch.
0: And then uh was eventually that was uh Colby Brack uh Colby breakout who put it out on uh or did you self do it as the CD? Cuz I have both.
1: Okay, the the 7-inch Rick initially put out, he ripped us the fuck off, but whatever, that's Rick. I knew he was a thief before anybody'd even call him out on it, but back then you couldn't really say anything, but I did. I didn't give a fuck. Um uh, but uh Fred Nesk. Let's give props to Fred and fucking hardest and, and uh
0: I, Beto. I love,
1: Harry. They Beto's a great dude. Um Harry. Yeah, and then fucking um Seth, little Seth fat Meyer. Nut, yep. Fat nuts. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, Rick did a lot. Rick did a lot of good stuff for the scene as far as like like um the dude would bring a fucking flea market to the show. The only other band who had more merch or almost as much as merch. As him was us, but we actually had really good product. Um, Rick had Rick. Rick would go to the Dollar Tree and buy a fucking teal or salmon flavored shirt, and basically go and fucking write, uh, spray paint a stencil on it, and sell it at a show for twenty bucks. You know, but he did. As far as the positive things Rick to Life did, he did a, he did, a, he got a lot of bands that otherwise wouldn't be recognized on the not the on the map, but he got him. you know, like hoods. If he, a lot of people wouldn't have heard about hoods, if it wasn't for him, even though he was kind of a not so honest person, I guess. But, um, so to, to give him a little credit in that facet. Yeah. He, he did a lot to connect a lot of these bands. I mean, there's bands I wouldn't have heard of. Like I met Mushmouth because of, um, and Richie Crutch, uh, because of Rick to life, you know, and Billy club sandwich and, um, I mean, Fat Nuts, Seth, you know, before he joined 25 to Life, I was out there with Powerhouse and we were touring, doing shows with Killing Time and Murphy's Law and 25 to Life and Madball at the fucking... But um, yeah, Rick did it. Rick did a lot to uh, to get kids' knowledge of other uh, um, scenes and whatnot. So as far as that goes, yeah, he, he did a lot. And honestly, 25 to Life back then, that keeping it real shit... That that was a that was some nasty shit. And Fred mesk, man. He writes some really nasty fucking riffs,
0: man. Dude, even the second, even the uh the 10-inch was fucking a killer, dude. This, the keeping it a real the keeping a real EP was a fucking was a killer. And then the next thing, the thing that they put out in Triple Crown, that was a fucking killer as well. Oh,
1: yeah. Fred from Triple Crown. That dude did a yeah. lot for the team back then. Fred was cool. I like Fred. Yeah, but between um, Fred Mesk and Beto, those are two great guitarists, man. I mean. And fucking Warren, I think little Asian Warren was playing bass at the time, and then yeah. um, and then obviously Rick was singing. But man, they had a really solid lineup. And that one, I think that little Greek dude was playing drums at the time that I met him. It was before Seth had joined. Little Greek. Oh, guy. Harry. 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 Yeah. Harry, yeah. who's
0: been in every band besides Demi. It's like Demi and Harry were in every New York hardcore band ever. Yeah, the,
1: and I think they're both like Greek dudes, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're like, Tikanis, Kalah. Dude, just <laughs> so fucking literally been in every New York hardcore band. Good so, drummer. Yeah. So you do this, so you do this seven inch, and then- um, Shit blows up, man. Yeah. It really blows up, and you end up, you end up dropping something on game ground. Was that when you went to Europe, or did it take longer for you to get to Europe?
1: It was after that, because game ground gave us, like, fucking, like, I think it, back then it was like 10 grand and 10 grand back then was like 60 grand. Now it was a lot. And fuck it. We went out and recorded fuck with Michael Rosen, who did, he did, um, rancid. Um, I think it was outcome. The wolves. Is that the first, I don't know much about rancid. I just know Lars and the guys really well, but um, he let's, the- let's
0: go. Was their first bigger one. Yeah. I don't know like- who did the outcome. I'm not familiar with like who the produced,
1: yeah michael rosen he did he did the powerhouse pandemonium the first full length fucking but love we, that. we we met him through lars lars rancid and i never was really into rancid but lars is a good dude now nowadays i like i like rancid but back then i was more into just hardcore shit but yeah we met michael rosen through that and um fucking so
0: yeah gang ground yeah, he did and, he did he did do uh he did engineer and outcome the wolves
1: yeah okay yeah michael rosen to this day we're friends but um so, Gang Ground gave us like eight to 10 grand. We did, it was called New Blood, and Ben's vocals are horrible on it, but the music's beautiful. Um, well, that's but we sh- you
0: guys just shifted over to him, right? From Tony. Uh, this is before Victory. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, but the, the, when Gang Ground picked us up, they had bands like um, Fury
0: of um, Five, All Out War, Hard Response, Her- all just from our area. Yeah, Hard Response, Fury,
1: All Out War, and um, from Long Island, uh, Neglect. Oh, shit, yeah, yeah, they did do that. And they, they also had that band you introduced me to from Baltimore, Hagerstown area. Um, what was that band? You guys used to play with them a lot, Punishment. Apathy. I believe, Apathy, was, Apathy, I believe, was the last band that put something out on gang ground. And, oh, no, no no, and, no, no,
0: no, no, no. I think it was that other band. What's JR's band?
1: Not Next, next Step Up. Yeah, they were the one that was on gang ground that's it okay yeah so that's how i met all those guys but nevertheless they had put our album out and literally like within like six months they folded so yeah so we got all the rights we got our album back we got all our shit back i'm going to go back and redo the vocals one of these days because that music's beautiful on that shit but but and then shortly after that yeah we went to europe and um we we start we signed with victory um and then we just we've i mean we would do from when I was 19 to 31, 32, we were doing over 175 shows a year, you know, in, in a, like at least like three or four of those shows, I hit 200 plus shows in, in a year because after the seven inch started busting out, we did the, the, the um, EP with Colby from breakout records. Um, Great the, yeah. Great that tip. was called the alone EP. Yeah. We recently, he's on Instagram now recently again, Kobe bazel. And then, but after the, after that, after the breakout records, that EP fucking took off. And then we signed with uh, uh, Jamie from Hatebreed's label, uh, Stillborn. And that was the Endless Pain EP. That EP sucked. I hate it. But Jamie liked it. He wanted to put it out. We weren't ever going to release that. But Jamie kept going, hey, let me put it out. Let me put it out. Let me put it out. I thought it was whack because it was too melodic. And that's how I started Above This World with Doug from Terror, my side project, that all the hood songs that didn't make it. But the Endless EP from Jamie Hatebreed wasn't ever supposed to put out. And then shortly after that, we signed with Victory Records and we put out Time to Destroyer. We also did that with Michael Rosen and um Then we did Pray for Death, and then we fucking did the Freya split with um, Freya's basically Earth Crisis side project band. Then after that, we told them to kick fucking rocks, and I bootlegged my own album whilst we were on Victory. I used to bootleg our own shit because that cocksucker would give us no money. But then we ended up signing with another piece of shit called G Records from Florida, and we did the fucking, uh, what was that, The King is Dead? That album fucking went huge king is dead was on on fucking headbangers ball and shit that's when we were staying in your basement crank calling dickheads at bars and then um (laughs) yeah and then and then we did the ghetto blast and then we got off that shitty label went to another kind of i won't say anything bad it was decent but lauren's label ice cream records and then we did pit beast and then the label all these years after dealing with hardcore kind of labels we go to artery which mainly does metalcore shit like super weird shit and they treated us better than anybody and they did uh got to negro which got limited um push but i'm gonna re-release it it's a great album it's one of my favorite albums actually but um we're gonna re-release that and at, now we sit here and we got some singles coming up
0: i, I forget so, what question I, sorry no no no, no 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 it was actually good that you did that because it kind of leaves us it kind of leaves us away from having to do that and then what came next band like like Mm. Recording-wise, and we could talk a lot about theory and culture, and stuff that you watch happen through the times. Because you know, in a short period of time, we're talking 1994 to 1999, it went from if a band had a CD that was a pretty big deal, but everybody was leasing cassettes and demos. To by the time 2000 rolled around, you were kind of a truitch if you didn't have a CD, and if you were putting demo tapes still out, you're like, what the fuck you doing with a cassette? Who wants that?
1: Yeah, you're whacked.
0: And, and by this time you had already mitigated through all the different little phases of it, the small local <laughs> yeah. label, the biggest labels. And I've always wanted your opinion on, cause obviously, you know, West coast worldwide is a label and you put out stuff. I mean, locally from here, uh, everybody still loves the three way split the above this world hoods, this warrior. Oh,
1: that's, you a know, like
0: thing. that's a, That's a first record for so many (laughs) hardcore people in our area. And that's something that that you put out.
1: That was fucking insane, man. And I, I went and raised enough money at that time. I was selling cocaine and I raised enough money to put out 5,000 CDs. And like you said, back then people were putting out cassettes and all this whack shit. And I put out 5,000 CDs of a band from fucking, you know, out in, Pennsylvania bumfuck Pennsylvania you know' out in West Coast and, and that motherfucking three-way split took the fuck off and I was terrified because I'm I pressed 5,000 CDs I'm just some kid in fucking Sacramento I don't you know we're I knew my shit by then but I was like that's a lot of CDs to sell as a DIY guy we got rid of them CDs I think with Chris from dysphoria I think we got rid of them CDs in like six months Every now, that's fucking,
0: like one of every that's kid. one of them connections that I wanted to talk about when you're done explaining this. But yeah. I, I wanted to know because I, I was hip to it. Obviously, I, I we get to California. That. We get to we get to California in 1999, and I yeah. say we because I'm a roadie with this warrior And this has been said many times. Have so you heard it? I'm going to talk about it again. It's my show. Fuck you. So I get to California. My first California hardcore show. The first person I say hello to is you. And it's bojangles, and you're like, just get the fucking merch in the box. There's or get the fucking merch on the tables over there, and I'm like, oh, well, we're in California. Like you're like running around getting shit already. And I'm like, I guess this little motherfucker just yelled at us. And Mike Brown's like, who the fuck is this thing? And I'm like, that's Mike Cody. He's like, oh shit. I'm like, and I don't <laughs> think he recognized us because we came in right before doors, yeah. and everybody's linking up. The first thing that connected with you was the fact that at home, which is Sacramento. Man, it wasn't just playing a show. How many people do you think went to Del Taco that night? Went everybody after the show? That was like a beautiful thing. Like, half the show yeah. would go and eat afterwards.
1: Yeah, we eat together. Even Yeah, everybody would go. Man, there'd be at least 20 of us. And it, then,
0: like, uh, I remember the second night we hung with you. You're like, that's it, cuz. We're going to Luigi's. Now, this oh, is a blood God. area. You gotta watch yourself. Yeah, but- it's all bloods. One of the things that comes up as you're talking about this hustle and these records is this is the, the important thing. You kind of put everything into perspective for me through Chris, and then later, like you know, you know, we would just sit there and talk about the shit. Um, when punishment wouldn't want to come back on tour, yeah, you, you guys came right, with,
1: back out months later.
0: You guys linked us with so many people from your road. And then, like, I always say, like, we built this hardcore treasure map of, like, how to get from city to city. And you bring up Shane Merrill, uh, Sean from Clear. Sean from Clear didn't do the show, so Blake Ford ended up doing the show. Yeah, the so Blake we started the being, Ford brothers. Yeah, we end up being fucked. And, and our first run was with Bloodline, R.I.P. Reek. You know? Yeah, Enrique. Enrique. And, yeah. You know? And um, it, it's just important to say that there's a lot of bands, like... East Coast bands like CDC, Dead Before Dishonor, Shattered Realm. And every time someone would do a tour on their own, they would then pass down something that you had a footprint in building this map that we all kind of didn't need a booking agent to book our own tours. And three years later, three years later, Punishment and Ringworm were able to tour. Actually, two years later, Punishment and Powerhouse were able to tour. And then a year after that, Punishment and Ringworm were tour. And I then a year that, that punishment and blacklisted. Everybody got to tour yeah, because of work, work that you fucking did in 1994 and five. Like you helped, you helped build a road, like a, like carved like a pioneering path for bands that just didn't have the Lincoln with the couple booking agents and like. Yeah, it, it, you're 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 under acknowledged. I don't like the term like. You know, like you people need to understand that's why I wanted to have the show. You know, like you put together a lot of pieces. So, bands, I mean, you you know, you bring up Southern California, you know, Scare Tactic, Pride Kills. That tour was basically the way Hoods would tour, the way Clenched Wrist would tour, the way Fight Like Hell would tour. There's so many bands from different areas that because of you doing the tour that you just talked about, then became possible for all of us to do our own tours.
1: You know, what's crazy is being like Pride Kills would be like, hey, Mike, we're coming out to California. Um, and I'd be like, what date do you want? And they'd say like, say fucking Saturday, whatever the date was. And I'd be like, OK, give me 24 hours. I'd come back and I'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday booked from LA to Sacramento to fucking San Jose, all the way to Reno, back to Salt Lake with the Ford brothers or fucking Denver with whomever. Um, Denver was always, um, what's his name from Ernie November
0: Keith. Yeah. Keith from the band truth. Yo, Keith and, in hell and, who was playing shows and he was a band from Cheyenne, Wyoming. I remember you linked us with him. Yeah. And Keith, man, Keith truth. He loved you guys punishment, man. And fucking
1: and Keith, and Keith was like the, 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 uh, um, like a hardcore metal head who had a scar head tattoo on his foot when we were like young as fuck and nobody tattooed their feet back then. So yeah.
0: Dude, you Wild. put us on to the Cheyenne Wyoming show. We, sh- we, we go to meet him in his record store. First of all, early we're like, November. The fuck is yeah. We're buying a fucking records in, in Wyoming. In bum and then you know, like, bum fuck. And this band, cause they're from <laughs> Wyoming. Hard they're the ones fuck. dude they're the band like hey come stay at our house hang out with our girls you know we're gonna go eat and then yeah, years later we would still play with them in places like with Shadow Realm. we, we play with truth down in fort collins colorado yeah. they came down and we knew we were cu- and the starlight. starlight and it's all these things that you linked everybody together you and the thing is another industrious individual would go ahead and be like hey yo i booked you seven shows so i need 10 percent of these shows you just did it to help the guys through, man. Like, you always man. put out maximum <laughs> amount of effort for everybody. If you stayed in Sacramento, you slept at West Coast Worldwide. Yeah, if you didn't, if you, if you didn't sleep on the stage of West Coast Worldwide once, you didn't yeah. tour in the 2000s, man.
1: Yeah. Or at my house. Yeah, fuck, man. Hey, oh, you Jesus. know, I, I remember talking to you, like, when we were going to go do the Tsunami Fest, and you were like, you still have hotmail? And I was like, I still have, I still have that same hotmail to this day, but like talking about say for instance, this is how I still do it. Like I got this list.
0: And and you still do the same thing.
1: I, because I can't go on a computer and and do it because in my head, I could tell you every show without even looking at the motherfucker. And I know these promoters, just like when I sent you to San Antonio, Jen from the white rapid. We yep. still fuck with her. She's like the Shane Merrill of Texas. Jen from the White Rabbit, uh, Paper Tire, wonderful person. And obviously all our friends in Houston, we could call Willow or Ryan or any of the Pride Kills yeah. dudes. Lou, you know, when I booked the Pride Kills tour, like that was fucking, those dudes were a fucking wreck. They were on every drug. Um, I booked uh, the first um,
0: shutdown They work tour. on oil. They, they all work on oil rigs. They're, they're like, fucking, they're literally, they're main they're they're, they're crazy white people Texas you want people me to tell are you, nuts Want me to tell you something that Mike Brown said to me Or it was Damien we were watching
1: Yeah Damien yeah,
0: Me and Damien are making jokes And Damien's like How fucked up is it that Pride Kills Basically if they were in that movie With Bruce Willis, They'd be sending the Pride Kills dudes To the moon to drill that hole <laughs> To put the bomb to blow up the comet And I'm like
1: oh, oh my shit. fucking
0: because those dudes were literally like fucking roughnecks, man, out in the middle yeah, of the fucking Gulf of Mexico. And then they would just weird. go party and insane. And, and why I bring all this up is there's a lot of people who could have leveraged themselves into becoming booking agents or leverage themselves to book, like make a record label or become a manager. And you're one of the few people that have the impact of what your generosity and your love for hardcore did. You did it for so many people. I mean, if you didn't take Doug under your wing and put him in above this world, he never would have did first blood. He never would have ended up in terror. You know, there's all these people that, you know, Dave Yodi, the first time you had a Dave Yodi ends up in how many bands and he's in that. I don't even know if that band's still around, but like uh, you put on
1: horrible set your goals.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't fuck with them. musically. It's it's not my thing, but Dave was always all right, but that's never been my thing. But like, yo, but you, even in a time when hardcore, was a high point. You were linking people up with the dudes from Katati, that band Seed, Wild Bill.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean?
0: Like you've always managed to figure, I mean, you always managed to figure out a way to link everybody together. Like you got us that skino show when we're playing up there with the fucking Mm. crazy Jason, who's like your height but wider than a fucking barn door. Yeah. You know, like and I wonder I wonder if now looking back in all these years, you never thought for once, of trying to make it into like a living. You always just did it for the good nature of hardcore. And that's something that I never forgot. And I think few people really understand because today's society, you could be in a band for a year and a half. And then next thing you know is you're trying to manage 10 bands or you're trying to be a booking agent for 10 bands. And there's not a lot of work put in because it's so much easier now, but you pioneered a lot of shit, man. And it really goes up my ass sometimes to see people so quick to monetize what was our own generosity and the fact that we would be generously putting on and showing people and giving, like, I mean, how many times did hood sleep at my mom's house and I didn't even live there? You know, like all this stuff. We we still do. (laughs) Yeah. You still stay at my mom's house. We still stay at your fucking moms. And that's the thing is, is like, do you ever have any thought of regret or any kind of thought process that you were too generous or do you not look at it like that?
1: Well, I get upset because a lot of my friends are in bigger hardcore bands that we got to that limit in some facets. And I get mad because they won't bring us on tour. But you got to think about this. I wouldn't want me playing before us because the shit that I'm going to do on stage, usually not always a good thing, but it's kind of a nutty show when you see a hood show. It's more like a comedy show. It's like Rodney Dangerfield on stage with the karaoke band playing hoods covers you know (laughs) because i talk all kinds of shit i don't have no filter you know and it's like whether i'm sober or fucked up i will get up there and talk shit on whatever i'm going to talk shit about And, and i think that's part of the reason some bands are scared to bring us on tour because they're bigger than us now and i think that if we played before them they would, I don't know. We, we've we been on two of like agnostic front. They're wonderful too. A sick of it all. We've played a bunch of shows with and we did a bunch of shows with them in Germany. They're wonderful. But some of the other bigger bands, I'm like, why don't you bring us out? Cause we're going to pull at least a hundred kids a night. It's going to be fun. But we were a little reckless for a lot of years, Joe. You know, I fucked up in Philadelphia. I hit the sound guy in the face or something with the bottle. Ah, uh,
0: of- you know, I spilled milk. And, but <laughs> but the,
1: the, the thing was, is for a lot of years, I was out there just, I don't remember touring for a lot of years, so I was a fucking asshole to a lot of people, so that's, I think I got a bad name for a while for being a lunatic, and that's probably why we had to not ever be on a booking agent, because booking agents were scared we're going to beat them up. You know, like when we used to fuck with Finberg, Finberg Finberg was terrified of us, and, you know, and and like, motherfuckers would get their asses kicked if they fucked up back then. You know, you had to be accountable you fuck up a show you might get beat up and nowadays there's no accountability for nothing like that like these younger bands like we're saying starting you know booking agency fucking just all this shit or and these bands record now in their fucking house they have an ep out in fucking two weeks of being a band and next thing you know they're on the road for us it took a couple years you know it takes a while to build this shit you know the momentum you got to pave the fucking road before you can drive on it and that's where we were at back then you know But like the, and I still do it myself. And you had said something yesterday. You didn't say the name of the band, but you said there's one band that basically you're their manager, but you don't take money. And that's always been my thing. I've booked tours for like, you know, countless bands, but like this tour, i booked for the cutthroats. I'm not taking a percentage. I told them I'm going to give them 200 bucks a night, except for on the door deal nights. And then we're going to split it up as seen but I always, always put the opening bands before me. They're getting paid before I even thought about get myself getting paid. So it's, it's more like, it's more like, yeah, I don't want to do it professionally, but I am a mentor. And I, I I look at myself as a mentor and it's not about the money. And it's, it's like, sometimes I get a little chapped about people taking advantage of me and like I'm a Sagittarius. I'm a very, very giving person. But I do recognize when motherfuckers take advantage of me, and I'm the first one to snap on the motherfucker, too. And it's like, if someone takes your kindness for weakness, it's, it's, it, I, I figure it out very fast. But like, I got this new band, the Cutthroats are on my label. They're real genuine kids. They're like we are, just humble, working class kids that got that's their little core. And that's what's important from my perspective is because I didn't really have a person to, that took me under the wing like that I had to do this stuff on the fly and learn myself alone you know I nobody I did this shit alone but nowadays it's like when I help these younger bands and they're like hey there's Uncle Mike man you know I don't have kids so they get when I get back from hardcore's family just like I was talking earlier you said how did I feel at the first hardcore show just like I'm gonna feel tonight when I see my friends at the aftershock or Saturday when we book you know, we got a huge show Saturday. It just, it, it, what it gives back to me. Like, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it because it's like I got somewhere to go. I got a family. This is it. I don't have nowhere to go on Christmas um, for, for holidays. But with hardcore, it's where I get, it's everything to me. And it's, it's my family. Me,
0: let me ask something. Um, Hoods Alone was the name of the EP. You did. You guys did a lot of things on your own. Was that intentional, or was that just at the time? It just it just synchro- It synced it up later. Like, oh yeah, because hoods, man. You guys really were that band from Northern California that everybody saw, and you ingratiated yourself to so many people out east that, like, in a they were like a, the way Bob was like, "Yo, you like hoods? Oh why? Well, because they're kind of like a judge band." but for the dudes that like bulldoze is the way he described it. And I'm like, all right, I want it. I got to yeah. hear that. I got to hear that. You know, like, and that was like, Bob would sell forties out, out of his trunk of his car. And what seven inches he had in his distro. And, you know, you go to the show, you let me get a 40. And then you're like, yeah, Bob. Yeah. Bob. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then, and then next thing you know is you're like, Oh, what's up with this record? Oh, yeah. It's like a judge, but like for dudes like bulldoze, you're like, I didn't hear judge, but for dudes like bulldoze, what's up? And that's the way it's always that
1: analogy, but it makes sense.
0: But that's the thing is, is you guys were playing with all at war and hate breed. Now, people, young kids conflate the hardness and the imagery of cold as life with like some beatdown shit. But they're pure fucking aggressive, hardcore crossover, very fast riffs, you know, good sing alongs. Yeah, It wasn't until that Jeff record with the declination That they started going like heavy heavy But they were like those demos specifically That's like raw hardcore man
1: well, And so born, for me Born to land hard Joe not to cut you off But born to land hard Is basically a a, a well produced Skinhead band With a little
0: metal influence I couldn't agree more and that's the thing is is You guys is to still hold Your own like that hate breed blood for blood Shit Dude yeah it was some heavy Dude. shit
1: coming
0: out. Yeah, you're heavy shit, and you guys are right alongside. Like, yo, we could swing hard with you guys, too. And it was the fury of being a fast band from California with a little bit of breakdowns and that crazy energy that you guys brought that Roy sold you. The, and the I other, just wonder... What's that? Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, I was saying is I wonder if at any time as you're playing these, like, now looking back, like, legendary shows that people wish they could have go to, was your process that you're just excited to be a part of it or were you guys really out there? Like, we're going to go out there to shine. Like we're going to go out there to show these motherfuckers, you know, like what was your mindset as you guys are coming out East and you know, you're the further East you go, the harder the shows are, the harder the pits are. And you guys legitimately would go to Queens and go to North Jersey and you'd play the pipeline with like the denied and the BCSs and the oh, E yeah. towns. You guys play with fury fives. And the thing is, is you should yeah, have been hard. playing with the weird like floor punch crowd and shit like that. But like, no, it was the hard crowd that loved hoods. How did you go into that being like the California fast hard band?
1: Well, the youth crew kids hated us because we were too hard to be punk and too punk to be hardcore. And the beatdown kids liked us because we'd, we'd bring our homies and we'd usually end up beating motherfuckers up for real. And the fast shit is this West Coast shit, you know? I mean, you see guys like even imported like Scott from Terror. He's out here playing West Coast. That shit's more West Coast than anything else. Because the difference between Terror and Buried Alive, you could tell who's from Cali and who's from out there. You know what I'm saying? And like with the, the West Coast style, that fast shit, because a lot of us grew up on like dead Kennedys and shit. And just like same thing with Born to Land Hard and Cold as Life. They're a skinhead band. It's playing street punk that's on good amplifiers and good drum sets and good production. It's just a hardcore band, you know? So I, the the differences are vast, but, man,
0: the similarities are more, you know, more so, I guess. I wonder if you ever even were really cognizant that, like, oh, we're playing with All Out War and, like, up in Brockton or in fucking Poughkeepsie. Like, or you like, no, we don't give a fuck. Because I feel also nowadays, faster bands are a little bit more pensive about trying to play with some of the heavier shit, whereas mm. kind of, like, Back then you could be a fast band with hard breakdowns, like you brought up trial. Trial was a fast brand, but they had some breakdowns. And yeah. I mean, you know, powerhouse, they played with a lot of heavier bands too. So I wonder if there was almost like a flag you were trying to fly by being like, yo, we're Cali, we're gonna keep keep that California West Coast fast influence going or not.
1: Shit, man. The, that, a, a thing be, the difference between hoods, blood for blood, and hate breed. Not to talk shit or anything, but the musicianship, like far as the shit we're playing out here, I have nine, ten part songs. They were doing three part songs, you know, the, the, it, so that was a lot different. The dynamics of the bands like Blood for Blood, those dudes could barely, you know, get through a song with, you know, Mike was very simple. Gina's is very simple. And, but then fucking what's his name? The guitarist. Rob, Rob. Rob's a great guitarist so you get yeah, one amazing songwriter yeah and that's all you need but like with us we were playing some dynamic shit and uh, back we'd be playing with all-out war and i was like fuck yeah cool we get to see some heavy hard metal you know and like far as other areas if they were tough we didn't care i'm from oak park you know, you, you know we were raised a little you know what i'm saying far i don't know yeah. if that's the question but like oh, when it was so go, like
0: more or less like when when you go to out east yeah when you were going out east It wasn't so i'm not talking about like the the street level. I mean the pipeline was crazy, just like Oak Park. Yeah, there's pizza stores and fucking there's pizza store down the street, but pipeline looks exactly like Luigi's in Oak Park. What I'm saying is what I'm saying is is you guys play with mostly heavy bands. Yeah. And it was like a no fucks given. Like fuck you. We're we're still fucking good. Like well, we were we were trying to bring the motherfucking circle pit. Like
1: out east, and it, it's it's funny you say that because it's really hard for a band like us to play. This is hardcore because we still have tons of fast parts, and when you play a fast part on the East Coast, kids look at you like you're the missing fucking link. You're like Circle Pit. You're like fucking get into it. Wake the fuck up. What's up? That's how we do it. And you know when you come to Cali, you're like, damn, these motherfuckers are Circle Pitting the punishment. You're like, I never seen a yeah. Circle pit. You know that's that's the to answer that question from earlier that's what it is the breakdowns as opposed to the fast parts and fucking still to this day when we want to you watch that us play this is hardcore and kids don't know what to do when they see hoods out east they're like uh what the fuck uh, do we run in a circle and then the breakdown comes and motherfuckers are losing their fucking minds then you guys come out here you play a breakdown and kids would be like where's yeah. the fast part where's the fucking fast part? You're like, we're, you know, and punishment was pretty fucking heavy. You had like, what, four fast parts, maybe three. (laughs) So, so, so that's when the big salad started between the East coast and West coast with the circle pitting, the Kung Fu shit, the breakdowns, the fast parts. But the thing is, is I think the West coast caught up where the, to the, to this day, we go out and play that. This is hardcore thing. We play the fast parts and kids are like, what the fuck? You know, they're like, what What do we do
0: (laughs) let me uh i'm gonna break it down some 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 simpler questions okay how did it feel in general did you feel accomplished or do you feel like when you take on something like building a west coast worldwide like how do you manage the stress of doing something like that like how like how does that even unfold obviously you're you're the kind of guy who's like You see a need, you're going to fulfill it. You know, hey, we need a venue. We need a place for bands to stay. But realistically, how did you manage that fucking stress of running that place?
1: Fuck, dude. Proactive, I guess, and fucking resilient. Because West Coast, we ran for seven years with no permits. I mean, you know, the police were always fucking with us. Code enforcement. The best thing was is we'd always open up about seven at night when we were doing shows. So the code enforcement calls it quits at about 530 around my neighborhood so that we'd never get, you know, we would avoid a lot of that. But we by I would say West Coast Worldwide stayed open by sheer luck, you know, and obviously a lot of work, you know, the having a venue. People keep going, hey, you need to open West Coast Worldwide again. I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to go do (laughs) I'm going to go do my shows at the Boost Fighters Clubhouse. And fucking they're cool and and I could live vicariously through them and I don't have to worry about the fucking water bill, the fucking getting sued, running the fucking bar, packing the fucking waters, getting the fucking snacks and shit ready, fucking upgrading the PA system, booking the fucking bands. You know, I I just do my part. I got my sound guy. We got a stage. I do all the door still. it, It just runs smoother that way, you know?
0: What do you think if we were going to go top three? What were your top three shows that you played between Sacramento and the Bay of all time that Hood's played?
1: I, 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 I can't answer that shit. I don't. Even, I,
0: <laughs> well, three of your favorite, three that popped the mind that we quickly. God,
1: dude. That would say like
0: they're so like. Here, one second, Joe. Welcome,
1: him. Okay, there, there's been so. I think we've been over. I think we've done over like twenty four hundred shows, something like that. And to pick out some of the best shows back then, I think. I think honestly, one of the earlier shows that was one of the best shows was at the Berkeley Square with Hatebreed, Hoods Hatebreed, and and we fucking, like you know, as far as keeping staying up on your own back then, it it was a little competitive. You know, this is before Hatebreed was even we still were on demo phase, you know, cassettes, Yeah, but that show between us and them, they were one of the bands that could hang with us almost on a musician level. You know, we always had really good drummers and a lot of bands had shitty drummers, but they were one of the bands that you're like, damn, that drummer's good. Damn. That bass player's good. Damn. That singer's sick. Damn. The guitars are good. Boulder, you know, they were great guitars, you know, heavy shit. And that was a great show. So hoods, hoods and hate breed at the Berkeley square. That was incredible. I think the time we played... Was that Big Theater when we did Hatebreed and Propane in Philly? Was that the Trocadero? Yeah. That that was a great show back then because simply because it was guys like you and I opening for fucking Hatebreed, Propane, Mushmouth, and Candiria. You can't fathom that. That's like fucking... If you're a rocker, that's like opening for Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue.
0: Yeah, and that we're was honestly, actually... uh Earlier on, we were talking about it. There was two shows Hoods played. You played a big show at Phoenixville. You played yeah. a smaller show at Drexel, which we all hung out. And then we and then the Trocadero show was the Mushmouth, Hapry Propane or Hapry Propane Mushmouth, Hoods, and that got ignorant. That was like a wild show. That was like metal dudes getting punched, hardcore Dude. dudes versus everybody else. Yeah. I could see okay. I could see you and Black Mike in the crowd. And just
1: fucking killing motherfuckers. And there was that fat kid. I think his name was Pat or something back then. And he was a real Pat Pat, fat kid. yeah. And he would run through the crowd. And it was like a fucking bulldozer. And you and Mike doing your fucking kung fu shit. And then just the... that. See, that's another difference. Like you were saying with the moshing and shit. We were like... We were on stage. Not only we were intense motherfuckers. But we were like... You put some fucking f- fuel on us. It's gonna get even more crazy, hoods in the woods
0: bleeding through. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh no, it was even before bleeding through. That was eighteen visions and uh, that was eighteen visions and throwdown. Throwdown. Throw down. I just that's told good. so. So check this out. So Bob Wilson, obviously, that's my fucking, um, that's my protege. He there now go. does the Philly hardcore barbecue at that venue. Only does it inside. And I was telling people about the hoods in the woods when that motherfucker came up and grabbed your guitar. And you're like, who the fuck is grabbing my guitar? Dude, <laughs> I,
1: I, I never expected nobody to do that. Um, but it was like, I feel, I, I still feel bad about that shit. No, but it was, well, that, I don't know. I'm not going to get into this shit, but the motherfucker grabbed the guitar and I was like, I'm like what the fuck you know you know what I'm saying that's just peculiar you know you know you never seen shit like that so when you react it's like fucking what you I don't know whatever that shit was crazy that that was crazy
0: and and that's the kind of stuff that would sometimes happen but like one of the one of the things that one of the things that just always stuck with me was that a hood show was never a boring no one stood around I mean you guys played CC's it was wild CC's Hoods. music. Yeah. CC's, yeah. I think
1: we played three times. What was that old dude's name? Rich. That old uh, man. Vince. Vince, that old Italian. He looked like a fucking soprano. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's lit. where I met. That's where I met the mushmouth guys. Um, the Chris, Hindu yeah, Chris and Chris. And and then white Chris. And obviously, you know what's weird, uh, Joe, is is the is is Richie Crutch and I share the same birthday on the same year, 11, 26, yeah. 1973. And we're both guitars and we're both stubby white dudes. I always thought that was weird. I was like, this motherfucker has the same birthday as me. And, and he's in hardcore bands and we're both stubby white dudes that play guitar. I thought that was funny. <laughs> oh,
0: well, shout it, out. It was, hey, hey, shout out to wisdom and chains. I love those dudes. Joe. Yeah, I'm telling you this, is one of these things that just like people, People in hardcore, I believe because of the internet, got actually disconnected from that breaking bread and that you know like let me help you out more than I should because blah 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 and and I think a lot of it you said like when when there's no competition and everybody's just friends, it's a lot easier to bend over backwards and give more and I feel like I feel like the older we get. The younger band specifically, they don't reach as far out as we did. They don't extend themselves. It's like kind of like if you could put your hand like a couple inches past where your shoulder is, your arm's not tired yet, where we would reach our arm all the way out and just as far as we could go to make sure the band got to that next show. And you were such a mentor and inspiration in showing us how you go that extra distance. And you like, I mean, dude, you brought PAs to shows when shows you heard didn't have PAs and like you linked oh, yeah. people up. And and it's something that stuck with me was just like your ability to see that it's not always going to be about, it's not always about that. It's sometimes it's about helping a band out to get to that next point. And I wonder where that came from initially or if that was just like in your nature because of the help that you got. No,
1: nah, that's from my mom. My mom, I grew up in Oak Park. And I was lucky because I, I had a stay at home. mom. My mom had multiple sclerosis. So she was always home. But in Oak Park, a lot of the kids didn't have fathers. They were either dead or in prison. And my mom would take the whole neighborhood on. So my mom and I, these were my homies, my mom and I, you know, like her friend Patricia up the street, his Tony's dad was in fuck, not black Tony, but this was a different black Tony, but um, his dad was in prison. So my mom would mentor all these kids. And it just be, and I'm a Sagittarius, you know. I think that really has a lot to do with it. And it's like, far as hosting bands, it's like when bands come to my come and play a show here, they fucking end up staying at my house. Like I just had the Cutthroats here for three days. They were recording up the street. I made them food, you know, got them fucking seltzer waters. There's still beds strewn about everywhere, but it's it 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 like I said earlier, it's about the family thing, you know. I never had kids. These are my fucking kids. The Cutthroats are my kids right now. You know, and, and it's like just like all the other bands that are coming through this weekend, you know, those are those are like kids that could come up and ask me some shit personally. Some kid came up a couple of weeks ago, thought he was thinking about killing himself. I talked to him. He's cool. Shit like that. You know, uh, people nowadays have a therapist. I don't have money for a therapist, nor do I want to go tell some stranger my feelings. It's called the hardcore scene. I go to the show, you know. It's just like we just revolve around each other. And and I've been treated well, too, in other places. Like I say, I stay at your mom's house to this day when we go on tour and she makes us fucking dinner. We go to the local bar. We meet the fucking crazy locals at her bar. We play darts. It's just it's 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 not the fucking three hours at the show where we're setting up merch, slanging merch, trying to get money for the next show and getting on stage. Ultimately, it's the shit that happens before and then obviously after the show when the real community starts, where am I going to stay tonight? I don't have money for a hotel. Um, can I stay at your house, please? I got five guys. We're respectful. We'll clean it up more than it was before we got here. I usually end up washing dishes at people's houses just because I got OCD or we vacuum the floor. Your mom knows. I mean, I go to your mom's house. I've been up vacuuming the fucking floor, even though your mom's hyperactive as I am, but it's just like the, the community that you get, like, like going to Chris Baldwin's house or, staying in fucking Chicago with any of the guys or Shane or going down to Florida with Mike from Jacksonville, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's just the, the whole community, like you said, from Detroit to Chicago to fucking Cleveland to Columbus, the ringworm guys in fucking Cleveland, Ohio. Shout out to James. I love ringworm. They're, they are the best metal band out right now. Ringworm. But, um, but nevertheless, it's just the community we have. Look at this shit. I'm talking to you. I met you when you were I think 13 or 14 years old. You know, yeah. with your fucking hornet tattoo. <laughs> so it's, it's like it's like me... it's like we we all got what we have is 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 a lot of years of 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 friendship and and the good times. We've lost friends. We've gained friends. We've, we're gaining new friends. We're losing people from politics. We're still here. The ones that are still here, this is the glue and the foundation. We're the cement. We paved the fucking road. And it's like for the newer bands coming up, they need to mentor these younger kids and put them in the right area and put their egos out of the way. Because a lot of these older bands have so much ego, they don't want to help the younger band because they don't want to see the younger band get bigger than them. I think in reverse. I want the younger bands to get bigger than me. So one day they can bring me on tour as the support act, because at some point I'm not going to be able to keep these wheels going. I'm getting old. I'm almost 50, you know. So I, at some day, at some point, I want the younger kids to start taking us out on, you know, support tours. So that's why I'm trying to get these bands big enough so they're bigger than hoods, so we could just go and fucking, they could do the work from now on.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you about your thoughts on your on all the Bay Area bands in Northern California. And actually, we'll, we'll call it just California. What are your top three non-hoods West Coast bands? Hardcore And West Coast stops in California. There ain't nothing in except for for Poison Idea. Okay. Besides Poison Idea.
1: (laughs) So this is top three hardcore bands of all time in my area?
0: In in In, your area.
1: Obviously 7 Seconds. Straight the fuck up. Love them. They are... Hey, and by the way, 7 Seconds is back. I talked to Allison a couple weeks ago, and I think they just announced that they're back. They're doing a tour coming up that's going to be beautiful. Circle
0: Jerks and
1: and Negative Approach in Philly. Circle Jerks fucking negative approach. You can't fucking go wrong. I, even though Keith Morris and I had an episode at this is hardcore. We'll talk about that later. But what was the question? <laughs> hey, but what, what was that? Refresh me. Sorry, I got a little stoned. Three, three bands.
0: Three okay. bands. Seven seconds is okay. number one.
1: Seven seconds. And I know this sounds
0: weird, but Uniform Choice screaming for change. No, the no, first no, no, no. Album. That's the top record. That's a top top hardcore record of all. That's a that's up there in the top five records for me. I love it. That's what I grew up on, luckily, man. I was so fortunate. And and Use also you hey, hey, are and, yeah. and, and,
1: and so those are the top two. And the top three comes down to two bands because I can't fuck with like fucking one of the because out of respect, because they're two yeah. mentors to me, whether they know it or not. Dead Kennedys, California Uber and motherfucking MDC, John Wayne was a Nazi. That those those two. That's those are the top. And all that a number four, fear the record, fear.
0: I love Pierre. And also, I'm going to fuck you up with this one. What's that? You know, Lee Viggs from Port Richmond. Philly, baby. Really?
1: I can see that. Philly
0: dude. Philly uh, dude. Yeah, yeah, All he day. Goes,
1: uh, he goes, uh, what's that song? Downside, walking down really South Street, Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, yeah. he's talking about uh, South Street, Philadelphia, Welfare Hotel. <laughs> I spent the night in jail at the Clax Hotel. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Dude, legitimately from my neighborhood, I was trying to book them in 2012 and I'm talking to him for an hour and a half on the phone about the neighborhood and he was in a blues band. He was in a blues band. That dude's a good-ass musician. Dude, he's just good at everything.
1: That dude's a good-ass musician. You could tell he's a Philly dude. He's a hard-nosed motherfucking, little motherfucking. He's tough.
0: He ain't playing around.
1: That dude, Fear, I to this day, Fear's been one of my favorite bands. Fear the record, I hold up with Nevermind the Bullocks straight up and fucking and, and well, there's a lot of other albums, but, but yeah, leaving man fear, fear was de- that fear. The record was definitely one of the most influential punk records. That was not, that never got the acclaim that it should have.
0: Now, I, I mean, looking at everything you've done, what's the drive to keep pushing and keep doing shows with hoods outside of Sacramento. Where's the drive coming from? What are you like, where's your head at going into this next run of shows? What keeps you still trying to write r- rips Like, What's the drive? Fuck, man. I love music. Straight up.
1: If I didn't have my guitar, I'd fucking, I would have, I'm not suicidal or anything. I'm in a very good mindset. I'm, I'm in the best time of my life and my whole existence. Right right now is the best time I'm having ever. Um, but the the love for music is is beyond anything other than soccer i love soccer the only thing above my guitar is my soccer ball because you know but the, the the just what keeps it going is like you're always growing as a musician man it's not like you just mow the lawn and it grows back with music you're you know there's fruits and vegetables and potatoes you know it's just it's everything music music connects us all if i didn't have music i wouldn't be talking to you right now if I didn't have music, I wouldn't have hundreds of kids so that I live vicariously through as a mentor, uncle, father, or whatever the fuck you want to call me. Music gives me something like tomorrow, I'm going to go work the Aftershock Fest and I'm going to see fucking Metallica. Not my favorite band, but fucking awesome. Tonight, I'm going to go see Exodus and I'm also going to see Anthrax for the first time. If If we didn't have this shit where else would i go at night go to the bar go to the drug drug den and fucking snort meth all day and be up for weeks and be a fucking zombie this music even when i was fucking up music always kept me just sober enough to keep going to the next stage to know it's going to get better and keeping that the glass half full as opposed to half empty so it's just everything in life for me it still revolves around music i barely scrape by I could make money doing this shit, just like anybody. But it's just it comes down to: I would play a hood show for free, and I'd also take your money if you want to give it to me. But uh, I'll we do talk it. About, I would do it either way.
0: <laughs> we talk a lot about the end of an episode. We talk about regrets, and you brought up fucking up. Where do you think your biggest regrets lie when it comes to hoods and shit?
1: Alcoholism. Straight up. Get into the, it. The, you know, it's ironic. Today is October 7th, October 6th. Last year I woke up, um, I was pretty fucked up I was pretty much drinking myself to death. And anybody who knows me and has partied with me knows that I could go harder than anybody on the grid on any level, except heroin, anything else is, was open arms. Um, but today is it's weird because today is I'm one year alcohol free. As of today, of That's and, and last year, October 6th, I went out and raged and I, October 7th, last year, I woke up and somebody said, Hey, Mike, are you an alcoholic? And I was like, fuck, no, I've never been addicted to nothing in my life, but I've been drunk for the last 20 years. Funny you ask why. And they're like, they're like, if you're not, if you're not an alcoholic, then prove it. And I went home that day and I didn't necessarily prove it, but I proved it for a year and that's saying a lot. So I'm going to try to keep this going, but yeah, the, the, I did methamphetamine recreationally from about 33 years old to about, um, 40, almost 40 years old. And I'm almost, um, eight years clean off of methamphetamine. I haven't, I will never do that drug again. And if there's any kids listening to this, if I could tell you anything about loving music or loving soccer, loving your parents, there's one thing that'll take everything away from you. It's methamphetamine. So if someone ever puts cocaine even in your face, cocaine's laced with that shit a lot of time. And they got the thing called fentanyl, but you could Google that shit yourself. Don't ever do methamphetamine and please don't ever do heroin. Other than that, smoke a joint, drink a beer. Uh, The party should end there. Otherwise you're gonna fucking lose everything. And, And from my heart, man, I swear to God, methamphetamine almost took me And it's been eight years and I'm a year sober off of alcohol. I still smoke weed once in a while. It keeps my ADHD calm. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm sober and I'm blessed to even fucking be here talking to you because you knew and you've seen me, Joe, um, for years, you know, kind of like destroy myself on alcohol. But I, I finally got away from it. So it's today's today's a big day for a lot of reasons. So and I get to do yeah. a podcast with one of my favorite people from Philadelphia. I still tell people you're my cousin.
0: <laughs> yeah, you still are yeah. my cousin.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's your, how mom, it is. Man, your fucking mom, man. Your mom's kind of helped me through a lot of shit, man. Especially when I was going through like quitting meth, you know? And 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 it's like, whew. That it, it, it's, it's like just don't ever fucking do that shit people that shit it's it's you've seen people it's killed a lot of us you know yeah. Yeah. and that just don't the heavy drugs man it'll take your fucking soul and if you're already depressed like you know i still get i still have depression problems but now it's like with a with the sober mind it's a lot easier to deal with and communicate with yourself talk to yourself if you're alone talk to yourself and that's okay you're not crazy but I talk myself through shit, you know, I'm like, I could get sober again. I don't have to be fucked up every morning and losing my brain every night and, and fearing the voicemails I would get because I turned my phone on airplane mode. Think People think I was in jail or killed somebody or killed myself or killed someone else or destroying myself every night. It's like the, and, and the gateway drug, man, alcohol, man, alcohol will fucking, it'll take your soul, man. So be careful, guys. Smoke a joint <laughs> <laughs> on
0: Not- a, on a, on a, on a, lighter, but more st- still, what do you think the three most important things a newer band should be focusing on when they first start out? Like what's they, what should their focus really be on?
1: First things first. And I'll say this for a lot of fucking bands. First things first, learn how to play your fucking instruments. That's rule number one. If you can't ride your bicycle, you ain't going to the store on your bicycle, nor should you put out a shitty EP that you're fucking going to melt our fucking ears with. Second is find some friends, even if they're not the goodest or goodest, even if they're not the best musician, you'll get better. Find a band you could jam with where dudes you go skateboard with BMX with fucking play soccer with do fucking jousting with motherfucking play rugby with find find people that are similar to you that you could hang out with on a road trip and get along with, because that's ultimately what's going to happen. A band is only one thing. A band is a bunch of dudes on a road trip for years that happen to stop places and play music. So make sure you know how to play your fucking shit. Make sure you fuck with only your fucking friends. And thirdly, do it yourself. Don't rely on anybody to do a fucking thing for you. Change your own strings, book your own shows, record your own shit if possible. Uh, You don't need booking agents, fuck booking agents. And if you got a record label that's barking up your tree to have you sign your fucking life away for fucking 33%, don't ever fucking do it because you could put it out yourself. And if anybody has any questions, you can ask Joe or me. We'll point you in the right right direction and you could collect 100% of your own fucking music and now they have live streaming so take advantage of that top three things for bands yeah do all that before mentioned, and there's another thing pack a fucking lunch because this is going to be one of the most difficult rides you're going to do in your life and i've been doing hoods for 27 years and i wouldn't give it up for anything but i'll tell you what it's hard to this day financially and otherwise you know and if you don't if you want a regular life do not play
0: music. Dude, this has been an amazing story. You oh, are man. a mentor and my cousin. I fucking yeah. love you. Um yeah. why don't we uh tell everybody what's going on with hoods, tell everybody what's going on with Mikey Hoods, and then uh sign off with what your Instagrams and all this stuff so people can get a hold of you. And okay. just thank you for your honesty. We've had, yeah, you, much like much like Jeff. Much like many of the people we've had on the show, um, you it's, it takes a huge person um, to admit failings, admit shortcomings, and to overcome them. It's amazing to hear this story from you. Um, someone who has given so much to hardcore and done these little things that without these little things that you've done, different bands may not have been able to move forward. I really as we start getting into these West coast things, there's no way we could talk about the West coast and not have you a part of it. So I've been, I knew I, at one point, me and you were going to have this conversation and serendipitously, it's amazing that it comes on such an important day for you. And I, yeah, I completely congratulate you on sobriety. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep you're, you going. You're, you're going to do it. There's still so much, and there's a whole new world of people that want to see hood. So Talk about what's going on with hoods and then sign up with how people can get a hold of you.
1: Well, I still do it archaically, but I booked this tour. I could go do it out of my head just to prove it. We start our tour next week in fucking Texas. Dallas, Texas starts Thursday, October 14th at fucking Reno's in motherfucking Dallas, Texas. Friday, we're playing Boozers and Corpus Christi. Saturday, we're pay- playing the Paper Tiger in um, San Antonio. Sunday, we're playing the Trip Six in Houston, Texas. Monday, we're playing Amarillo at Strongburg Castle. Tuesday, we're playing the Edge Bar in Tucson, Arizona. Wednesday, we're playing Red's Ale House in Yuma, Arizona. And yes, we are going to Prison Hill after for the ghost hunt. Thursday, we're playing a house show in Vegas. Friday, we're playing Potentialist Workshop in Reno, Nevada. And Saturday, we're playing... Uh, The 23rd, we're playing Back From Hell Clubhouse in Sacramento. Check out the Cutthroats. I have West Coast Worldwide going full bloom. The Cutthroats are my new band on my label. I love them very much. You can check me out at MikeyHood1 on Instagram. I don't fuck with Facebook or MySpace or any other shit. and I rarely check the Hood's Instagram. So if you want to connect me, don't email me, MikeyHood1. Thank you, Joe. Patty, I I love you you, very much. Much respect to everybody in Philadelphia
0: and everywhere else. Thank you guys very much. Nah, uh, thank you so much for this. This has been absolutely incredible. Yeah,
1: and we you, look Joe. forward
0: to more in 2022 from Hoods.
1: Yeah, I'll see you guys soon, Joe. Thank you, man.
0: Much love, brother. You know. If you didn't get something out of that episode, I I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'm always biased because I know these guests and I respect these people that come on the show. But there's something about the work, the friendship, the time in with Mikey that this one was special. And I do not think you can understand from an interviewer point of view that sometimes when you're talking to someone who's so energetic and has so many references but also suffers From ADHD Myself as um, neurodivergent ADHD Crazy person It's impossible To do this for three hours With someone like Mike Because both of our brains are going a thousand miles an hour But I mean Dude he got me choked up He was choking up himself And I think that As someone who grew up in hardcore You know from my teenage years Through my twenties All my twenties All my my thirties and now I'm hitting my 40s. The presentation of who we were to people when at different stages in our evolution and growing. There's people that are not going to like Mickey Hood for something he did in 2004. But this it was fucking 17 years ago. He even references he was whiling the fuck out at a show we did in Philly. And he threw a fucking water bottle and fucked up the soundboard. And I scolded him and was pretty fucking pissed off at him. And we're on tour together. But it's, it's hard to be fucking mad at somebody because, but you I was mad because, like, dude, this is like a pain in the ass for me. But, you know, I think that it's impossible to live a life and have a perfect record. It's impossible to not say things that make somebody mad or not, you know, we're, we're not infallible. And it takes a special strength to admit when you've done something wrong and to publicly admit when you're overcoming things. And it takes a certain level of strength of character to look back on things and not stick your feet in the ground and go, no, I was right. And I think that there's a lot to take from this episode. So many things, so many people, so many bands. This, this hardcore thing is very connected. And it's. it may seem like it's more connected with Twitter for those of you younger folks or the old people that lurk in. But honestly... It's in the personal relationships and the connections. And that is what this podcast is. And I'm just thankful that we got to share some of that. So the West Coast tour continues. Can't wait for next week. Thank you for the support. PhillyHCShows.com We are going to, I'll say it, Patreon.com slash hardcore. New shit uploads Sunday. And support local shows. Support Roger. Support Eddie Leeway. Support Hardcore. Goodbye.